Hi, it's Garen with Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Need a new roof fast? Consider Shamrock Roofing and Construction. Our rapid repair team will get you a quote within 24 hours and will always repair before we replace. One call does it all. Shamrockroofer.com. It's time for the Night Shift with Jack Johnson on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We are back with another edition of the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Little bit of an interesting show tonight, and it's going to be an interesting couple of days. Um, We got... Sterling Holmes down in Las Vegas, and he has been working hard, collecting plenty of interviews. So you're going to hear his voice a lot over the next few days uh, because we want to take advantage of you know, Sterling's hard work and you know make sure that his interviews are getting brought to you wherever you may be listening. Whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, whether you're streaming somewhere, Sterling's done some great work, and definitely you're going to want to hear some of the interviews that he has with current NFL players, former NFL players, NFL analysts. He really has gotten to just about everybody, and you're going to hear him, as I said, a lot over the next three days or so. Now tonight, you're going to hear my voice for the first two hours of this show. The final hour, we're going to have a couple of awesome interviews that Sterling had um down in Las Vegas earlier today. And for the next two days, uh, he's going to be bringing you some more interviews and more content and anything you could have possibly hoped for down at the Super Bowl as we gear up for the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers to duel in Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. Now, we are going to have plenty of NFL talk. We're going to have Joel Penfield joining us in about an hour or so. That's a full hour of NFL talk. We'll probably sprinkle in some of the Bobby Wood Jr. news, and we're definitely going to cover that here in hour number one. Going to talk a little bit, a little, little bit about college hoops. But for the most part, this is an NFL-dominated show. It's a Super Bowl week. We know that a lot of uh, people out there are going to want to hear some takes on the Super Bowl, some predictions, and you know what we're looking forward to. Uh, That's kind of the message for tonight. So you're going to get a mix of me, you're going to get a mix of Kyle, you're going to get a mix of Joel Penfield, and then of course Sterling Holmes, who's down in Las Vegas doing fantastic work, gathering some interviews. But for our number one, because we're not going to have time later, we've got so much content to go over NFL-wise We want to sneak in some college basketball talk. We want to sneak in the Bobby Witt Jr. contract. And we're going to ask that to Joel, of course, in the opening parts of his segment. But if you're waiting for some NFL talk, don't worry. We're going to get around to it. Just want to make sure we hammer in some points of what happened yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was a wildly busy day here in Kansas City. Around noon yesterday, the Bobby Witt Jr. news broke the biggest extension in franchise history, and later that night, we got the Sunflower Showdown between Kansas and Kansas State, in which the Wildcats, for the second straight year, won in overtime against Kansas. And that is where we're going to open the show tonight, uh, because you also can listen to KU Games right here 
on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And I'm sure for a lot of you, you did listen to that game last night. And if you were a KU fan, disappointed, a K-State fan, rather enthused by last night's game. And I've got plenty of takeaways, plenty of uh, a breakdown for both of these teams. But I want to start it off with what I gathered from Kansas last night. Uh, because this was one of those games where I felt like it, it could tip the iceberg, if you will. Uh, they had played fantastically in the first two games, uh, or last two games, excuse me, Oklahoma State and Houston, you know, back-to-back games at home, and uh, just dominated both of those opponents. Oklahoma State, much lesser than Houston was, but you take two dominant wins and the toughest conference in college basketball. You had the quick two-day turnaround, and then you take on Kansas State, who had lost four in a row. So you're taking on your rival. You know it's going to be a rocking, hostile environment, and I think for a lot of fans out there, you thought Kansas would be ready for a matchup like this. You thought the Jayhawks would be able to go into Manhattan, uh, take control of a Kansas State team that just had lost all of their juice, all of their momentum. Uh, quite the opposite, though. Instead, last night we were treated to a Kansas team that didn't look completely interested in chunks of that game, and a Kansas State team that felt like their back was against the wall. And when you play a team with their back against the wall, fighting for maybe more than what you were fighting for, you'll get outcomes like last night. I mean, these are two teams that are so well coached. Jerome Tang and Bill Self, there's talent on both sides of the floor. You know, Kansas has two All-Americans in Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller, a future lottery pick in Johnny Furphy, longtime experienced point guard Dewan Harris Jr., and uh, one of the most athletic fours in college basketball in K.J. Adams. K-State, on the other hand, not as talented, but they got some players. Tyler Perry showed you the type of player that he was. 26 points, a game high last night. Cam Carter added 19. Arguably the most improved player for the Cats this year. Great contributions off the bench from Will McNair, Jarrell Colbert. We've heard our good buddy Ryan Gilbert of GoPowerCat.com bring him up a lot. K-State just had more efficiency late in that game. Now, there's some people listening, whether they're KU or K-State fans, kind of wondering you know, what this can mean for both these teams. Starting things off with Kansas, I don't think I learned anything new about the Kansas team last night. I don't think I learned uh, anything that I, I didn't know. This is a Kansas team that is uber-talented. They've got guys that can score the ball. And they've got experience. They're also very hit and miss. And maybe the the biggest glaring issue, they don't play well on the road. And that's going to come back to bite you in a conference like this. Kansas is now 1-4 in in conference road games. Their one road win was against the second-to-last-place team in Oklahoma State. So you really tell me how impressive that was. In front of sold-out crowds on the road, they haven't fared well. Winless in the conference. Their best road win this year was against Indiana, and Indiana may not make the NCAA tournament. There are issues, and there's a lot of layers to it, but there's issues with this team, but I also don't believe there are issues that can't be fixed. 
you know, college basketball is such a long season. It's not as long as baseball. You know, there's a lot of games that happen throughout the week, and the narrative changes all the time. That's where I'm at in college hoops. And, you know, here in about a month, our shows are going to be dominated by a lot of college basketball talk. KUK State and Missouri. We've tried every single show to make sure we get our fix in of the three local teams because college hoops still matters here in Kansas City, even if it is Super Bowl week. But the narrative is always going to be changing week to week, game to game. It is a long season. And I've tried to express uh, to people that I've talked to that may be completely out on Kansas. It is fine uh, to be down and negative about a team and, you know, to say the, you know, old saying of, well, it's a first weekend exit team, whether that's a saying or not, you know what I'm going about here. I feel like there's a lot of people believing this Kansas team after last night isn't making it out of the first weekend. I always kind of thought it's a it's a weak insult to use on a team because we know how tough it is to win the NCAA tournament. Like, you could pick 63 teams, really good teams right now, and go, they're not going to win the win it all. They're not going to win the national championship. Well, yeah, a lot of teams that are good are not going to win it. There's only one that stands alone at the very end. It takes a lot of luck to get there. But I can promise you this. February losses don't matter. If your spot is secured in the NCAA tournament, it's all about setting yourself up properly to make a run. Now, I will be completely honest. I don't think that this Kansas team has just a much better chance of going far if they're a one seed as opposed to a two. Right now, I'd probably put them on that two line. Is it impossible to grab a one? No. I think if they... Rattle off a couple of big wins on the road. I feel pretty confident they're going to beat Baylor on Saturday. They're going to get tested right again against Texas Tech and Lubbock. And if they win that game, one week from now, there'll be a different narrative. This Kansas team's really good. They finally have snapped that streak. It just so happens that in four of the five losses this year for Kansas, they haven't been ones that have sat right with the fan base. Feel like you were destined for more. A lot goes into a college basketball season. A lot, lots of ups and downs happen. I mean, these are eighteen to well, I guess now twenty-five-year-old kids. If you even want to call some of the twenty-five-year-olds kids, but there's so many ups and downs. There's ups and downs. There's positives. There's negatives. In the end, though. Those losses that happen in January and February, they're more so just frustrating points. They're not detrimental to your team. I mean, we were talking about Kansas on Monday afternoon about being a team that could win the Big 12 out right now after the way they dismantled Houston. And crazy how quickly things can change just hours later when they lose to Kansas State. There are clearly flaws with this team, but I would argue that there's flaws with every team in college basketball. Maybe not UConn, but if you're a Kansas fan, you're going, hey, we did at least beat UConn earlier on in the season, and that's not going to matter much in March, other than just building your resume and you're adding a quad one win. I, I just didn't learn anything new about this Kansas team last night. I really didn't. 
Frustrating loss if you're a Kansas fan? Sure. Uh, go right ahead. I mean, you lose to a rival, that's always going to sting. It's going to sting worse than West Virginia, going to sting worse than Iowa State, UCF, stinging worse than Marquette. Sometimes, though, you just have to look at past seasons. Weird losses that happened on teams that went pretty far. Now, I think the great Kansas teams, which uh, this one's going to be stacked up against coming up in a month or so, you know how far they can make it. There have been teams that went maybe a game into the tournament before being eliminated that fared better against teams at this point than maybe this one does right now. I remember the Kansas team that went to the Final Four and lost to Villanova, had the thrilling game against Duke in the Elite Eight. I think they lost in Stillwater that year. They even had a home loss to somebody. Might have been Iowa State. Or maybe that was the Frank Mason team the year before they went and played Oregon in the Elite Eight. Teams that went far have had those losses all the time where you go, oh, this team's terrible. This team's soft. They're one of the worst teams in the Bill Self era. It's copy-paste every single year. But I can also bring up the fact that it feels a little bit different this year. There haven't been many years under Bill Self where a Kansas team just can't win on the road. Where they are losing to teams that have six wins in January. You know, that, that could be seen as unacceptable. And if you're Kansas... You hold yourself to a higher standard. You know, and I think in college basketball, people get over losses a lot quicker than maybe you do in the NFL. In the NFL, man, you've listened to our show, a lot of people that have been the regulars, you listen to our show a lot throughout Chiefs season. You sit on it longer. It pisses you off more when you lose a game and, and you got to wait an entire week to play. It's different in college basketball. You're pretty much over it the next day, even if it is a gut-wrenching, soul-crushing loss. I just think that with this Kansas team, that there's not really a need to panic. I think when you can start panicking is if you're in the Big 12 tournament and you're losing to a West Virginia or Oklahoma State in the first round. I mean, there is still a very real-world possibility that Kansas wins this conference. And they're, one, they're a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And then anybody that overreacted is going to feel a little dumb about thinking a loss in early February is is the most important thing in the world. Right? There's just things that you got to work on. You got to improve on. So that's that's the other side of this for Kansas fans out there. And then we're going to move on to Kansas State. For Kansas fans, you know, there's a chance to really get back up on the hump, you know, get back up on the horse and beat a really good Baylor team on Saturday. Then go try this road test once again. And one of the toughest environments in the Big 12 and the nation, and playing Texas Tech down in Lubbock. Those are things that can change quickly. But Kansas is not going to be a deep tournament team, just not going to be one whatsoever. If A, the bench can't give the starting five any relief over the next few weeks, I think that the bench play can be a bit overrated in the NCAA tournament. I think you need about one solid sixth man to give you production off the bench. Maybe Kansas is still trying to find that. Nicholas Timberlake, Omarco Jackson, and Parker Brown. Right now, none of those guys have taken that spot and run with it. The reason it's important over the next couple weeks is you got to give some of these guys rest. I think the reason Kansas was on fumes in overtime 
And they were fouling guys and missing free throws. They were exhausted. Not to say K-State wasn't, because K-State didn't get much from their bench, and these are things both these squads are going to have to worry about the rest of the way. Kansas just simply has to get a little bit more from their bench. Relief, as some would call it. It is so vital for this team to get that. And I'm not too worried about the missed shots, the three-point shooting, off nights for certain players. That's always going to change game to game. right? Johnny Furphy can have 17 points, sometimes 20 points against a really good opponent at home, Cincinnati or, or Houston, and then have four points against Kansas State. That happens. Hunter Dickinson can have eight points, or he can have 24. It's it's going to bounce back and forth in college basketball. So I'm not really too concerned about guys having streaky performances. That eventually all evens out. And that feels like if you can all even out at the same time, that's when you're at your most dangerous point. The bench is an absolute concern. The mental toughness... Uh, You could argue right now it's not that sturdy. I think losing on the road is going to show the the weaknesses of your team. The teams that win on the road, they're very mentally tough. They can handle adversity. They can handle loud crowds, tough environments. Right now, unfortunately, the numbers that are put in front of me, Kansas is not a good road basketball team. The silver lining, if you're an optimist, you don't have true road games in the NCAA tournament. And if Kansas continues to win, they bounce back with this, and uh, they go on a stretch of winning 5 of 6 or 6 of 7, catapult themselves back in the top spot in the Big 12 and get a number 1 seed in the NCAA tournament, well then they're going through Omaha and Dallas to get to the Final Four. And those are two locations that have a ton of KU fans. And KU fans will travel to. You're not going East Coast or West Coast where it's going to be tougher to travel. That would give you, by default, Kind of a home court advantage. Because we've seen with this Kansas team, night and day difference when playing in Lawrence as opposed to anywhere else. As for this Kansas State team, back against the wall, needed this one desperately. You don't win this game. uh, You're really, really looking at it being a long shot to get to the NCAA tournament. The resume hadn't been that good. The best win was Baylor. Other than that, they didn't have enough. They'd gone into overtime against North Alabama. They'd gone to overtime against Oral Roberts. Now, they're 11-0 under Jerome Tang in overtime, but uh, this team just was nowhere near the same team as last year, and that was expected. You lose uh, three key guys, four key guys, I should say, and Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, Desi Sills, and Naquan Tomlin. But this team just hadn't found its footing and was really starting to crumble in Big 12 play. I mean, they hit rock bottom. Losing to Oklahoma State in Stillwater. They had a couple of close calls where they lost near the end. And it was really, in my opinion, the perfect time to play Kansas. Nothing uh, really being in your favor. You got a rival that has everything to lose coming to your house. I mean, yeah, I know I just said back against the wall that it was a must-win game for them. I do hate that saying, but... It kind of felt like it fit the narrative for Kansas State last night. But they were not ranked. Kansas was number four. Rivalry game. It's in Manhattan. They usually play fired up and ready to go. And they were. And how about the gut check from that squad trailing by 11 early on in the second half and then 
crawling back, taking the lead at one point, holding down a lead in overtime. It was wildly impressive for Kansas State. Now, what I will say is this. This win is only important if you win on Saturday. I truly believe that. If you lose to BYU and Provo, not a bad loss, but you kind of feel like you're back to square one. You're back to square one because now you're at nine losses overall. You still have to go to Lawrence. You still have to play TCU. You know, you still have to play Cincinnati on the road. And I would argue if Kansas State's at 13, maybe 14 losses after the Big 12 tournament, they're not getting in, even if they do have a big-time win against Kansas. You know, you got to rattle off a couple more of these. Losing to BYU and Provo would stun that momentum, and then you look up and you go, damn, we've lost five of six. Yeah, that one win is Kansas, but that's five losses in six games. That's not pretty at all. So that's the, if you want to call it negative, I think it's more so of an opportunity for Kansas State. But at least now, you feel better about rattling off a couple. You feel better about pushing this thing to the NCAA tournament. If they do make it, it's not going to be a scenario like last year where they're a three seed or a four seed, whatever they were. They're likely going to be a eight, nine, or eleven. So not really destined to make a deep run. But I do think it is important for Jerome Tang and this squad back-to-back years, first two years getting the NCAA tournament. It's the same thing for a college football coach getting to a bowl game. You get to a bowl game back-to-back years, you feel good. So even if it's not a deep tournament run, this showed me that maybe deep down in there, maybe somewhere in there, this Kansas State team could be more dangerous than we thought going back to Saturday after they lost Oklahoma State. Now, there's going to be some people that say, well, is beating Kansas at home really that hard? I mean, nobody's really fearing them after they lost to UCF and West Virginia. I, I kind of throw that out. It's a number 4 team in the nation. It's your rival. They've got five stars all over the place. They've got experienced guys, All-Americans, preseason players of the year. That's a loaded team that's coming into your place. And you had lost a lot of production from last year. In Kansas State, they blocked out the noise. They stayed focused. And they caught a Kansas team napping. I did believe that even on the short day's rest, two-day rest for Kansas, I thought they'd be more ready to go than they were. I thought early on in the second half, that was a team that we had kind of seen against Houston. Good defense leads to great offense. Scoring around the rim, one and dones for Kansas State. And then there were just some lapses. Turnovers started to happen. Droughts happened on the offensive side of things. Couldn't rebound. Couldn't make free throws. It was ugly. But I'm not going to say Kansas State won that game because KU played poorly. That's taking credit away from a Kansas State team that did a lot well in that game. Now, Kansas is, is a good basketball team. They're a great one, in fact. And, you know, I'd probably still put money on the fact that when we get to early parts of March, this is going to be a team that is still very much in the top three spots in the Big 12. I still have a prediction that 
that game in Houston on March 9th, last game of the regular season, it's going to decide if it's a tie or an outright win for one of those teams. Because a lot of these other teams are not going to have that consistency. They're not going to be as sound at home. I do not believe Kansas is going to lose at home the rest of the way. So it comes down to the, the reality of, well, how good are you going to be on the road? Right now they're terrible on the road. Two and four overall. One and four in conference play. Two bottom teams in the conference you have losses to. Two of your rivals, Kansas State and Iowa State, they've gotten you as well. And there's no round robin, so you're not getting West Virginia, you're not getting UCF, and you're not getting Iowa State. You will get Kansas State again. And I would say that's going to be a Hornets Nets game. That's going to be a very angry Allen Fieldhouse. Players are going to be angry. They're going to want to win by a lot, but they're going to have to show up in the same way they showed up against Houston. It's a good thing about college basketball and why I wanted to fit it in in the first part of the show because we're going to be talking a lot of NFL the rest of the way. But I'll say this, that it's great in college basketball that there's opportunities right around the corner. It can feel doom and gloom. I mean, I knew plenty of Kansas State fans that were ready for the season to be done on Saturday. It was like, I don't don't need to see the rest of this. I don't need to see anything. It's ugly. It's terrible. And then after today, it's, well, NCAA tournament's back on. For Kansas fans, it's Final Four runs back on after beating Houston. And now, well, this team's not even going to make the NCAA tournament, not that, but not make it far in the NCAA tournament is what I was trying to say. So quickly things can change. And I guarantee you the next time we have a show, that narrative is going to be completely flipped. We're going to be talking a lot differently about these teams, but I do hope positives on both sides. I hope we're talking about Kansas State after a win against BYU and Kansas after a win against um, Baylor and then Texas Tech. That's what I'm hoping for. Better for us here at the station when the local teams are playing well. Kyle, any thoughts on last night's game before we hit our first break of the night? No, I just think it's really just a what has happened to Kansas over the last couple of days. You know, the big win against Houston, who Ken Palm obviously loves. Houston's still number one in the Ken Palm you yep. know, net rankings. And then it's a quick turnaround, but you go to a seemingly inferior team in Kansas State. That's just the Big 12. That's a microcosm of the Big 12 this year. Mm. Uh, we've seen Kansas have these great wins, as you've mentioned, against UConn, Tennessee, and obviously Houston, and then just bad a bad loss to West Virginia. It, oh, yeah. You can't, you can't yeah. excuse that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about it. That looks mm. like it, it might be Oklahoma State. We'll get Joel's thoughts on that later. But <laughs> they, they look like the worst team in, in the league. And then these are types of games, as a Kansas fan, you, you expect them to win. Mm-hmm. But that's just the Big 12, and arguably, I, I think it's the toughest conference in college basketball right now. And it's it's going to be tough. Uh, this tournament is going to be brutal. I, I just know that, this postseason tournament. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait for the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. I mean, what's going to be fascinating is how all the seeding happens, but I could guarantee you right now, and you know me, I'm probably going to be wrong anyways, but I'll stick my neck out for there. Why, why the hell not? <laughs> I doubt it's going to be one versus two. Right, in the Big right. 12 championship game. I mean, there's just there's so many good teams in the conference, and whoever wins this thing, somebody has to. That's the funny thing. We talk about, oh, who can win the Big 12? It, we're, all, we're always making these predictions. Somebody's got to come out a winner, or two teams have to come out a winner, and they are going to be so battered and bruised from this season because there's nobody else in college basketball that's dealing with what the teams in the Big 12 are. A nightly just gauntlet you're going through. There's just good teams all over. And last night, not a bad loss for Kansas. Really good win for Kansas State, but you can't stop there. You can't rest. 
you can't mope about a loss. And I don't think that Bill Self and Kansas are moping, and I don't think Jerome Tang and Kansas State are raising any banners or are still celebrating with champagne because all of that can go away in the blink of an eye. And this Kansas team, I think that the perfect description of them, the definition of them is talented enough to go to the Final Four. They've also got the floor of being eliminated in the first weekend, as do a lot of teams out there. I'm watching a game on ESPN right now, North Carolina and Clemson. North Carolina just beat the Tar, no pun intended, out of Duke. At least it dominated Duke the majority of that game before Duke made it a little bit close at the very end. They're trailing to Clemson right now at home with 10 minutes to go. They lost to Georgia Tech last week. Every team has their ups and downs, their woes. But in the Big 12, there's no nights off. Whereas some teams in the ACC or the Big East or the Big 10 or the SEC, there are some nights off where you just know you're winning that basketball game. Can't say the same for the Big 12. It is going to be a highly contested race all the way up into the finish. It's going to make everybody better for the NCAA tournament. I think last last night's game, even though for Kansas fans you don't want to admit it, these are things you grow and learn from. I do not think if Kansas is a one seed, they're going to be completely different as if they were a two seed or a three seed for that matter. This team has the talent to go far. They've also got a lot of flaws that could lead to an early exit. But that is said for a lot of teams out of this Kansas State team. I think has the talent to get to the NCAA tournament. I've also seen the floor of this team where they may not even get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. So we'll see how things shake out over the next month or so. But that's been our college basketball roundup for the Sunflower Showdown to open tonight's show. We've got Joel Penfield coming up in about 30 minutes. He'll be joining us in studio for about an hour. And then at 9 o'clock, from 9 to 10, the rest of the show, you're going to hear some great interviews from Sterling Holmes. You hear him every single week here on one of the night shows for Sports Radio 810 WHB. You also hear him over on the home stretch on 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. He's been busy as hell all day. He's going to be busy tomorrow and Friday, and you're going to get tons of interviews all week long if you're listening during the nighttime uh, spots here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. When we return, We are going to go over Bobby Witt Jr. and a monumental day in Kansas City history. I promise Super Bowl talk will be coming up. It will be the final two hours of the show. But for the last 30 minutes of hour number one, I want to give our thoughts on Bobby Witt Jr. signing the biggest extension in Kansas City Royals history. That's next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We are back here on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. This is the second straight year that we've been able to bring you a night show in the midst of a Super Bowl week. And, of course, this Super Bowl week involving the Kansas City Chiefs. But it's a little bit different this time around. Much different, in fact. Um... Whereas last year, if I'm not mistaken, we had three straight hours of Super Bowl talk. I mean, it was easy to do that because nothing else was going on. Nothing else was going on in Kansas City. Royals weren't doing anything. Okay, UNK and K-State were playing well, but for the most part, everybody was focused 
about what was going on with the Super Bowl. Now, if you're tuning in, don't worry. We're not going to you know, keep Super Bowl talk from you. We got two full hours from 8 to 10 in which we're going to be bringing you NFL talk. Joel Penfield will be joining us here in about 24 minutes, and then you're going to hear from Sterling Holmes for the final hour of the show as he's down in Vegas doing a bunch of interviews at Radio Row. We want to make sure you guys get those great interviews tonight, tomorrow, and on Thursday. But like I said, this week's been different. Uh, Not only did we get the Sunflower Showdown, Kansas and Kansas State, which we talked about to open up the show, we had a monumental day for Royals baseball yesterday. This all happened, what now, 20, maybe 30 hours ago? And coming up on 30, 31? Yeah, we're not far removed from it. When the Kansas City Royals signed Bobby Witt Jr. to a franchise record, Shattering the record, by the way, 11-year, $288.7 million deal, and it could be worth up to 14 years, and I think $377 million is what I read. Might have the, the numbers wrong for the salary there, but he's going to be making north of three fifty if he stays for all 14 years. But you're not going to have to worry anymore about Bobby Witt Jr. playing elsewhere. He's going to be here for a long, long time, and I thought it was good to give uh, Kyle and I's takes before we uh, go full Super Bowl talk here, because it is a huge day in Kansas City. It's something that is worth talking about, because I feel like for the first time, at least in my lifetime, a a structure shift, a culture shift has happened with the Kansas City Royals, Uh, whether they win 70 or 80 games this year or 90 games does not matter to this point I'm about to make. They have forever changed the perception of what they can do financially. The Royals just had their most aggressive offseason in recent memory. And to cap it all off, the grand finale, they signed their star to a mega deal, making Bobby Wood Jr., be in possession of the 16th most expensive contract in baseball right now. The 16th most expensive player with their overall numbers of a contract plays for the Kansas City Royals. That wouldn't happen five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20, 30. Wouldn't happen. Now we've got a different feeling. Now for some people out there, you're going to go, well, I don't care. Start winning games and then I'll care. I get that point of it, but it's not... The argument I'm trying to make with why this is important, why this is monumental. Now, moving forward, you're going to have a different take on the Royals and free agency. Because there could come a time where if they want to go get a number one in the future, a number one starting pitcher, you're going to have something to base it off of. And, well, they could give him a six or seven year deal. They could give him 25 to 30 million dollars a year. I mean, they gave Lugo 15 million a year this offseason. They gave Waka, I think, $16 million a year this offseason. Where in the past, it was if that's over $10 million, they're not doing it. They're not making a move like that. Bobby Wood Jr.'s deal shattered the franchise record by $200 million. Well over $200 million. That's crazy to think about. And I know it's been a uh, a tough time if you are a big-time Royals fan here. Lots of losses and uh, the... Ownership, not spending much money. 
J.J. Bacola, Dayton Moore not making many moves. You just you became accustomed, you became numb to the losing. And there's no guarantee that spending money wins you stuff. Now, there's the Rangers last year, they won a World Series. There's also the Mets who didn't make the playoffs and they had the highest payroll in baseball. It's not linear. But we do know that small market teams have a stigma around them, that they can't afford anybody. And this goes back to the 80s and 90s. You may remember, I know Royals fans remember very well, the Yankees, and they still do this, they treat a lot of small market teams as their farm system. Hey, that young guy who's 22 or 23, who's under club control, is pretty good. Uh, But we can afford him, and they can't. Therefore, we're going to get him eventually. And the Royals dealt with that for a long time. And I I think the scarring one goes back to the early 2000s with Carlos Beltran. Royals couldn't afford him. Didn't want to pay him. Traded him. Didn't get much in return. Who was in that deal, too? It was like uh, John Buck, I think, was in that deal. Mark Tian? Tian, I think, was in that deal. Um, Was Niffy Perez in that deal as well? Yeah, find me that... That Beltron trade. But it didn't work out the way they thought it would. And now it's a little bit of a different era because the Royals could very much be in possession of the best player in their franchise's existence. I know George Brett's going to have that honor until Bobby Witt Jr. wins an MVP or two. But right now, I mean, the, the projection, the potential... He could be one of the best players in baseball. John Sherman, J.J. Bacolo recognized that. And they made him the most expensive player in this franchise's existence by a lot. That Beltron trade, a three-team trade between the Royals, A's, and Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, Astros sent John Buck in cash to the Royals. And the A's sent Mike Mike Wood and Mark Tien to the Royals. Ooh. Oof, that's right. Yeah, that's that's an oof. And I, I do like Mark Tian. I like that. Those are childhood players of mine, John Buck and Mark Tian. But for Carlos Beltran, it's not that big of a return, considering what Carlos Beltran was for the Royals early on in his career. This was a huge day, and for many reasons. Like We brought up the fact that you have a, a different perception now of what this team can do financially. The other thing that's huge is... They drafted a kid who really could have looked them in the face and said, no, I'm not spending 11 years of my career for an organization that has only shown me 97 or more lost seasons. And today, as he's at Kauffman Stadium, dressed to the nines, alongside his family, you know, his uh, fiance. you know, he's smiling ear to ear and, you know, he steps in front of the cameras, gets behind the table on the podium or, or the stage where the podium goes, and he says how much he loves this place, how it's felt like home from day one, and it didn't really feel like he ever doubted it. It's not like he had to be convinced or persuaded. Now, money talks. Right, every player that if they tell you the money didn't matter, it does. You want to be paid handsomely, you want to be taken care of, you want your family taken care of. But it is very impressive to me that the Royals made Bobby Wood Jr. feel like that two years into his professional career and two seasons in which they weren't competitive whatsoever. 
Because there were a couple of things they had to do to convince him, I, I believe. Not just the money, but they had to show they were committed to winning, which John Sherman said they've been committed to winning for a while. Now they're going out there and spending money, building a better rotation, a better bullpen, a better lineup, in hopes that Bobby Wood Jr. can get to the postseason more than once. They can have a couple of pennants. Now those hopefully will come with time. But the days of losing 106, 97 games, those are hopefully behind you. But that was great for Royals fans to see today, that their star, their centerpiece, wants to be here, wanted to be here the whole time, and the ownership and front office got it done. Never a doubt, some would say. Now there were people out there that were critical of the front office of ownership, saying there was no way it was going to happen, Bobby Wood Jr. was going to be a Yankee, a Dodger, whatever the case may be. I always thought an extension would get done. I will not say, though, that I believed it was going to be this type of deal. I thought six or seven or eight years made sense. He would have been a free agent around his age 29, 30, 31 season, could make a big-time payday with one of the teams that could afford him because that's what we all became accustomed to in Kansas City. Now, if they're going to make 25 to $30 million a year, they're not going to play for the Royals. Now it's different. And to see an 11-year deal that can turn into 14, like a Fernando Tatis Jr. deal with the Padres did, a West Coast team, that shows you things can be different. And small market teams, don't let them fool you. They can do this. Small market teams can pay their stars. It's about if owners want to. Owners cry poor all the time. Oakland does it, and has continued to do it. And as much as I love Moneyball the movie, it's a great movie, it also glorified the fact that you don't need to spend money to win games. And in today's game, you have to. Unless you've got the most tremendous scouts in the world. I know Baltimore won 101 with, I think, the second or third lowest payroll in baseball. They also had an unbelievable farm system. Number one, they, they weren't putting together a team through a computer. They had superstars that just run their rookie contracts. But for the most part, you got to spend a little bit to be competitive. And the Royals, I think, realize that for a team that doesn't have a loaded farm system, you got to make the major league team compete. You got to make them more competitive. And this is one of those steps in doing so. Because J.J. Bacola said in the press conference today was they announced the signing of Bobby Wood Jr. to an 11-year, $288.7 million deal. Players are going to want to come play with Bobby Wood Jr., making sure he's already on their roster year in and year out, that's a big selling point. And now we'll see where they go from here. Kyle, uh, let's start yesterday. Okay, let's go back to yesterday when this news broke. Or if you want to go back to the night before, because I know there were rumblings that the Royals had made progress on a long-term extension. What was going through your head? Did you think a deal like this was in place? Did you never think an extension was going to happen? Did you feel like this is exactly what it was going to be like? Walk me through those last 30 hours for you. Yeah, so last night, I remember it was either, I think it was John Heyman, he tweeted out, there has been progress with the Kansas City Royals in in extension talks with Bobby Wood Jr. And I said, yeah, 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 whatever. Because, you know, we've heard Royals leadership say that over the last couple of years, I feel like, or since Bobby has been up uh, in the major leagues. And I really I didn't think much of it, but I also knew this had to get done. Yeah, I mean, this has been a I would have given this off season before this an A grade, right? 
because what J.J. Piccolo has done is he's raised the floor, and I know this team won 56 games. That's not hard to do. But you've infused this team with productive veterans, and you've really shown the fan base that you're trying to improve, and you've shown that to Bobby Wood Jr. too. You know, when yeah. I ask myself why, and like you just mentioned, why should Bobby Wood Jr. sign on to stay here long term? I think J.J. Piccolo really showed him why this offseason. Uh, back to my previous point, this had to get done. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a Patrick Mahomes type of face of the franchise type of player. And if they would, you know, let him play out his club control years without getting anything done, mm-hmm. how much confidence would I have in this team? Uh, very little in the ownership. Just very little. So I'm glad they really, John Sherman put his foot down and said, we're getting this done. No way, fans or buts. Yeah, I mean, I. I think it's no coincidence that with the stadium on the ballot coming up here in a few months, the Royals had to make some moves financially uh, to ensure that it was going to be well-liked, it was going to be approved, people were going to want this to happen. Because if you just kept all your money in your pocket and were asking people to pay for things, well, that's not going to sit well with a lot of people either. This absolutely was, you know, step five or six, really, in the process they've had this offseason. Because I believe if they didn't sign Bobby Wood Jr. to an extension, you still would have walked away this offseason going, they did a really good job. Absolutely. A B-plus, you could say. And this just puts them so much over the top in terms of improving their team that it's something that we haven't really seen in Kansas City. This, I would say, is the best offseason the Royals have ever had. And that's even if it doesn't result in... 85 to 90 wins because they've set themselves up not only for the now for the future and you hope they can continue to build and they're setting up a team that can compete for AL Central titles year in and year out not just have a three or four year stretch where they're above 500 you want it to be consistent and making sure your centerpiece is there is a big part of it a really big part of it because now the Royals have kind of taken themselves out of that bottom barrel spot where the White Sox and A's are still in, of we're just not going to give big-time contracts to players. You know, the White Sox were doing so much right at the beginning of their window. It was signing Luis Robert to an extension before he debuted at the big league level. Eloy Jimenez, same exact thing. Uh, they gave Jose Abreu a big-time contract coming over from Cuba. Uh, Juan Moncada and Michael Kopech coming over in the Chris Sale deal. Like They were setting themselves up perfectly but then didn't lock up anybody long-term that was uh, maybe just joining the organization. You know, Robert and Eloy Jimenez, they banked on them being really good. Robert, really good. Eloy Jimenez, kind of there. But they're not willing to spend that money. Oakland never will. That That's just maybe when they get to Vegas, although that's kind of up in the air now, considering the news <laughs> that came out today, that the mayor of Las Vegas doesn't think it's that great of an idea. Who knows at this point? But Oakland, as long as they are owned by the same person, the same family... They're not going to operate any differently. It's clear that they don't want to spend money. The Royals for a long time were like that. And as much as flags fly forever, Kyle, as much as Royals fans can be appreciative of 14 and 15, what I also think it did was put the Royals into this state of mind of, hey, you can win the World Series without spending a lot of money. You just got to develop, which is true. You got to draft well. You got to develop well. Make the right signings for for high value, low price, high value. But it's more than that now. The modern era changes. Baseball's always changing. Maybe down the road, 
that time will come around again where you don't need high OBP guys, high power guys to to win you baseball games, big strikeout number guys. You can win by putting the ball in play and stealing bases and winning on your bullpen and defense like the Royals did in 15. But that state of mind they got put in handicapped them, I feel like, for a handful of years after the World Series because they kept looking at the same things, the same problems, and trying to fix them the same way, which was by not spending money. We're going to bargain bin shop. We're going to find guys in the same way we found them back in 13, 14, and 15. Now, different ideology, different way of, of thinking. And, and you got to thank John Sherman for that. You got to thank J.J. Piccola for that, of you know spending this cash. And that's something I really never envisioned the Royals doing, uh, maybe not as early as 2024. I mean, that's kind of the amazing thing to me. John Sherman could have gotten in front of the podium. He would have not been well-liked for this, but he could have gotten in front of the podium and said to the fans, you think I'm going to spend now after they just lost 106 games? We've got no farm system. Why would I go out there and spend? Because the perfect way you go out there and spend is that you have to build up a farm system, have the number one farm system. Then you piece together your roster like that. And fill the holes with free agents or pitchers or bullpen guys. That's how you spend your own. That's the perfect way to construct a roster by not overspending. Sometimes, though, it's not that simple. As I said, it's not that linear. You have to get more creative. And this was more of, hey, we're not going to lose 106 again. We're going to try to compete and compete now. Spending money is the way we're going to do it. And I, I can't applaud that. Whether it's 75, 78, 80 wins, maybe 85, they're competitive all year long, and they spent the money, I I can sit just fine with this. I can feel very good about the direction of this franchise because we all know here in Kansas City, even with the Super Bowl right around the corner for the Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs have put themselves in a league of their own right here in Kansas City. We, we've never seen any stretch like this before. You know, four Super Bowls in six years, and only like I said, you come become numb to losing for the Royals. We become numb almost to Super Bowl appearances for the Chiefs. Now they went on Sunday three, three in the last five years, and then you have back to back. I mean that's that's what every franchise, not just in football, baseball, the NBA, you hope for. The Warriors had it in the NBA. We've seen a couple of dynasties in the NFL and baseball. The late '90s, early 2000s Yankees. Other than that, it's it's hard to do. But Kansas City is a great sports town, as we know. And all of us are longing for the day where it's year-round fun. It's fun when the Chiefs are playing, and they'll lead you right in the Royals who can be competitive all year long. And you have college hoops mixed in there. It's passionate fan bases with KUK State and Missouri. But we also know how passionate this fan base can be for the Royals when they're winning. And this is their chance now to win back some of the support of their fan base. Kyle, any lasting thoughts before we hit our final break of hour number one? Yeah, I mean, real quick, I just want to take it back. Before the previous uh, Royal season, you know, with the front office changes, and really that's when J.J. Bacolo, whether he liked it or not, that's when his evaluation began, and he made some some changes in the front office. He upgraded the coaching staff, I believe. Mm -hmm. But the uh, 56-win season obviously did him not a ton of favors. Yeah. This offseason, I think, has just improved his stock in my mind, and I think many Royals fans' mind, just through the roof right now. Now, we'll see how this season goes. I'm, I'm a little bit more confident now that 
you know, a 20, 25 win improvement is attainable this season. But, uh, I, yeah, my point being, I really am just excited to see that this is not the same old, same old front office that, frankly, that Date Moore was running post-2015. Mm-hmm. It does feel like a different way of things, and, and we certainly are going to hope for things to be better in 2024. All right, that's going to wrap up hour number one here on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way. Get a little bit of his thoughts on the Bobby Wood Jr. extension to kick off his segment. And then all NFL and Super Bowl talk the rest of the way right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Number two of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier. Now joined in studio by Joel Penfield, the KC Sports Network, co-host of One Royal Way. Go follow the fellows on all the podcasting platforms, because it is a damn good podcast. And fun that we can talk about your latest podcast, because you guys at One Royal Way did an emergency podcast. We did, uh, and it. I was in my office, like at my mm-hmm. actual day job, uh, and I just reserved a conference room for forty five minutes to to go ahead and, and knock it out because I, I wasn't going to miss this one for sure. No, and we just uh, finished up talking Bobby Wood Jr. We are going to get your thoughts here, and plenty of Chiefs and Niners thoughts as we gear up for Super Bowl Fifty Eight in Las Vegas. But uh, walk me through. I asked Kyle that noon tweet from Jeff Passam yesterday where it really did shatter not only the Kansas City world, the baseball world. I mean, this is a megastar in the making that is going to be playing baseball in Kansas City for a long, long time. So walk me through what you were thinking in the moment when you saw that tweet pop up, what you were thinking before that, afterwards, if you could believe it, just the emotions you were going through. Oh, yeah. I, I had heard some stuff that an extension was coming. Like There there was at least some framework, and the Robert Murray tweet the night before yeah. you know, kind of gave some indication of like, okay, there, there there's going to be some sort of extension here. Mm-hmm. What it might be, I don't know. It might not be... The, what it ended up being like a couple years tacked on at the end, and then mm-hmm. when he's 29, 30, hit free agency. I saw 11 years, and I jumped out of my chair at my yeah. desk. because I And I saw the nine-figure contract that went with it, and I was like, holy, this, this is unbelievable. Because it's not something that you see the Royals do. This is the largest contract in franchise history by $200 million. Yeah, But that's the type of player that Bobby Wood Jr. is. And I, I was hammering the table for it. Two years ago, when he had a, I don't know, people said it was an underwhelming rookie year. I think it was just like a rookie year. Like yeah, he was very still, much so. And he was still fine. Like, he showed flashes of what he could be. And I said, you cannot let that guy walk out the door. Like, you cannot. You have to at least make an attempt. And that's what the Royals did with this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just a, oh, we're just trying to put butts in seats and we're not, and we're not just, it's not like a, hey, we tried, like, yeah half measure of an this was a real with the amount of money they threw into it and the years they tacked on this was a we are serious about keeping this guy around we're not going to be the small market team that just enjoy your six years with your superstar and then go watch them play for the yankees or dodgers or red sox or whoever we want to keep this guy in kansas city 
for as long as we possibly can. At a minimum, it's seven years, mm-hmm. and then there's a bunch of player options. So the Royals have a, a runway here to make to have competitive teams over these next few years. Show him we can build a winner around you. We want you to be the face of our franchise, and if you stick around for this deal, number seven is going up with number five, number twenty. Yep, and you're going to get a statue out in the outfield with him too. And I think what's amazing about this, and Kyle and I were discussing this a little bit. You know, it's, it is one thing to convince a player, right? you you got to win baseball games for it to be worthwhile. I think it's a travesty that we look at Mike Trout, who's just buried in Anaheim. Now he's, you know, injury-ridden, and we may only get to see him in one playoff series, and it was against these Kansas City Royals. We're robbed of that. So players do want to win, right? But, man, i, I got to tell you this. This doesn't feel fake from Bobby Wood Jr. Not I feel all. like he really wants to be here. He loves it here. I mean... I think the fans have treated them well. The front office have treated them well. And that is important. The Royals don't do a lot of things right. I believe they have always treated their players right. 100%. And that goes a long way. And I think that's one of the main reasons they were able to get this done. Because there's a lot of front offices that wouldn't budge, wouldn't give you that deal and go, you want... Two hundred and eighty-eight million. Yeah, we're not giving you that. You find somebody else uh, well, to pay that salary. Not only that, but this is one of the more player-friendly pre-arbitration deals that oh, we've yeah. ever seen, especially for a player this young. Mm-hmm. And it comes with those four player options. And it's not like those player options are just there. It, they're thirty-five million dollars a year. Like mm-hmm. that's real big-time money. Now, with the way player inflation happens by. 2031, $35 million made us to be a drop in the bucket for a shortstop, which tells me there's probably going to be room for a restructure after a few years if he decides, I really want to just stay, mm-hmm. stay here and make the Royals my team that I go into the hall with maybe someday, something something along those yeah. lines. But it's real big-time stuff. It's not just, okay, well, all right, we'll tack on a couple years, and mm-hmm. we'll give you one player option, and so be it. They gave him four. They gave him. He has seven guaranteed years. He starts making real big boy money in two years when he probably wouldn't anywhere get anywhere near that until maybe his third arbitration year. Yeah. So this is a significant deal for not only Bobby but for other young players too, mm-hmm. like a Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman um, and just another Oriole Jackson Holiday. Like there are other young players are going to look at this as a framework for what they want. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll take the double-digit years, but we want a couple player options, and there are years eight and nine if we can get them. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, but it is... I mean, I still kind of am kind of pinching myself that it actually happened. Uh, me too. Because we, we talked about, okay, there's the Royals are going to do something. They're going to try. And, mm-hmm. and if nothing else, that's all I would want, is at least not just the, okay, well, we have them for six years, Godspeed after that. Like there, this is not just a ha- like I said, it's not a half measure. This is a a real. This is something real and significant. And as much criticism as owners in Major League Baseball get, and as much criticism as John Sherman has taken at times for the way the stadium stuff has gone down, he stuck true to his word when he said, "We are going to spend when the time is right. When we mm-hmm. feel we are at a place where we need to be competitive." We're going to do it. They showed that with what the fr- the free agent moves that they made, going out and spending more than they almost ever have in the last at least oh, yeah. decade that I can remember. And then you go and drop a nine figure deal on your best player mm-hmm. and a, a potential superstar MVP candidate. They they put it on the table and said we're we're going to do what we set out and what we said we're going to do. Well, one of my uh, last questions I have for you on this this Bobby Wood Junior extension is about John Sherman. Right, that 
a guy. I think owners always are going to get a bad rap. Like there's just always there's there's no owner out there that's going to have this perfect pristine image. No for one's going to have a 100 approval rating when you're a billionaire that owns a franchise. Exactly. Like, if you're a billionaire, people think that the money's endless. Which in a lot of cases, yes, the, the money the money is endless. But I also always looked at it and said, John Sherman spent a lot of money buying the team. Okay, so he spent what was it a billion? To get this team. They're about. I'll look up. The and then I think everybody thought, well, if he just spent a billion, well, he might as well just throw in a couple million on assembling a new team. It's it's easier said than done, right? And I think it's easier to point the finger and go, hey, spend your money. When it's not my money, uh, go spend go spend the millions of dollars you have on assembling the team. But I think they also wanted to go about it in a very organic way. Uh, they wanted to assemble a team on the field first that was competitive. Then it's easier to fill in the holes by spending money. I tip my cap and go, this team lost 106 games. There were a lot of holes, and he said, F it. We have to spend now. We have to to fill the holes that are out there with guys that are going to be expensive. I mean, how many Royals fans would have been fine if they would have said, Waka and Lugo are the two big pieces, and they just kind of rolled it back with the same team? There would have been people saying, hey, at least they signed two starters, right? That was more than I thought they were going to. But the fact they did two starters, Will Smith, Chris Stratton, traded for Nick Anderson, Rule 5 pick and Matt Sauer, signed Hunter Renfro, signed Adam Frazier, just got a lot of depth to this team. And I even say this, Joel, I mean, the Adam Frazier deal wasn't well-liked by a lot of people, but Adam Frazier played 141 games for a 101-win team last year in Baltimore. I don't think he's starting for this team. And that's better depth than they had last year. So it's, it's spending a significant amount of resources. And the grand finale, the cherry on top, is... Oh, here's $288.7 million to the guy that everybody wanted to get the big-time deal. It, it feels very calculated in a couple of, in multiple facets, like the entire offseason, mm-hmm. where you're going and getting players that are known commodities. Like, we know what, you kind of know what you're going to get out of Seth Lugo, out of Michael Walker, Chris Stratton Hunter. These are all established veteran mm-hmm. guys that are in their early to mid-30s that you know what you're going to get, and you know that you're going to get decent production at least for you know the couple of years that they're in Kansas City. And it doesn't so it doesn't necessarily raise the ceiling of the team, but I think that's okay. It raises the floor of what Very they were going so. to be, which I think is way more significant for where the Royals are. Like the way I'm kind of thinking of it right now, I know win-loss predictions is a futile exercise, but I'm thinking right now like 74 and 88. And I know that people listening are like, oh, come on, another losing season? Guys, that's an 18-win improvement year over year. Yeah, Like that, this is kind of going to be, at least in my mind, and what we hope that it is, is that bridge year we thought last year might be. Mm-hmm. Um, or even 2022. We, the last couple of years we thought maybe, okay, this is the year that it gets a little bit better yeah. so that the next year we can springboard into being in that contention for the third wild card spot. This might actually be what that year is. If these guys produce where we believe that they can and, are, and people stay relatively healthy, you also have the stadium vote coming up. If the Royals did nothing and they just kind of sat on their <laughs> not hands, any votes. it's not going to happen. Yeah. So you go and you spend, you're like, hey, we're going to try and we're going to feel like a much more competitive team. We want to give you guys a reason to go out here so that we can show you what this can be with a new ballpark. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you add Bobby Witt Jr. into the mix. It keeps your superstar around, makes people that wanted to buy a Bobby Witt Jr. jersey. Like Sometimes it's stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I was hesitant to go and buy a jersey or a shirt because I'm like, he might be gone in two years. They might try yeah. and trade him. 
you know, or okay, well, he's going to go into free agency. At least I remember watching, you know, his early peak years. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to be around for a long time, and yeah. he's going to be. He might have a, a, a captain C on his chest when they open up that new ballpark in, in a few years, and he's going to be a huge part of that. So it's all kind of working together, and it's not like there's ulterior motives here doing this just to get the stadium yeah. a vote, but I think there is a piece of that, an element of that, and I think that's okay if that's the way that um, the city decides and the Royals decide. And Joel, what you said earlier by saying they had to try, that's that's exactly how I felt. With Bobby Wood Jr.'s extension, you had to try. You can't try to move this guy before his club control is gone. And this offseason, you had to try. Now, if they offered Bobby Witt this this massive extension and he turned it down, I'd been like, well, they gave it a shot. Yeah. But I understand. He can go get $450 million from somebody. You know? I think what the, what they did here is they showed a ton of goodwill to this. We're not going to give you a – like, I, I even think, honestly, like, as good as the deal that Corbin Carroll got in Arizona mm-hmm. – like if the Royals tried to offer him an eight for one eleven, I would have walked away from the table too. Oh, like no. I think that would have been. No a, I think would've that would have been. A, yeah, it would have been. It would have looked really rough. But like, look, we are willing to give you almost four hundred million dollars over fourteen years, and if the Royals are relatively competitive and he's producing and he's happy here, then you easily restructure and you can give him the four hundred million that he wants. Especially by the time that that's happening, you're in that downtown stadium. You have some of that revenue coming in from the ballpark village area. It's something new. You have downtown KC all right there. There's more money to give him and others. Like yeah. It all can kind of work out that way. But to go out right away and be like, all right, we're going to give you a contract, $200 million more mm-hmm. than we've given anybody else. Yeah. You're going to be that guy for us. I think it was a sign to him, if Bobby wants to be that guy, that – I, I think it says a lot about what the Royals and Bobby think of each other, mm-hmm. right? It's it's been just this this dream off season, and whether it results in twenty, twenty five, thirty more wins, or maybe fifteen more wins, I can't fault what they did in the off season. They, they, are, they did it perfectly, in my opinion. They are trending in the right direction. Like I think even at times last year when it was rough, and we're in the, you and I are in the trenches trying to figure <laughs> out what the hell to talk about. You could still feel like, okay, there's a direction here. Like, yeah. we're, we're, we can see what they're doing. It's awful on the field, but you can mm-hmm. see the little things. And now I think it's going to, we're going to see bigger chunks of it now yeah. with some more veteran presence in there. The young guys taking a step forward as they become more established in the big leagues. Bobby Wood Jr. continues to ascend. Uh, and other guys, I think, can, can really take a step up into not being stars, but like, Really, really, really solid big leaders like Vinny Pasquantino, Michael Garcia, uh, Cole Reagans, a couple mm-hmm. examples of oh, guys no. that I think can take big steps forward this year if they're healthy and build a really nice core around Bobby Wood Jr. You know, uh, last thing I'll say here is that you just look at the opening day roster. It's not finalized yet, of course, but I mean, if you don't believe there's been significant strides made, the opening day starter last year was 39 year old Zach Granke. Yes. The number three in this rotation to begin the year will be somebody that has the third or fourth most expensive deal in franchise history in Seth Lugo. Like, that's where the Royals are at right now. Who do you think is going to be the opening day starter? See, I've thought about this a lot. I feel like because of the money they paid him, like, Waka makes sense. But if you're also going to say, hey, let's let's really have opening day, start with a bang, I don't know why Cole Reagans wouldn't be the the one. Like, sometimes it's as simple as, what's going to get me out to the ballpark? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like... I'm going to go to opening day either way. I'm sure you probably will yep, as well. I already got the tickets. There you go. I got to work on that. Um, but for a casual fan that you know, kind of, that follows the Royals a little bit, you know, and wants to see these younger, like Michael Walker, man, he, how, how long has that guy been in the league? 
eh, yeah. all right, maybe I'll go. Cole Reagans, oh, yeah, that guy had an awesome second half. He's, yeah. Where's he was, that left-hander that's throwing yeah, triple digits? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. That is going to get people, or I think that would get both casual and like fans that are super mm-hmm. passionate out to the ballpark more than a Michael Walker or Lugo would. Well, and that's not a knock on Walker or Lugo. Yeah. I just think if we really want to see – we. It, we in Kansas City like seeing the homegrown guys, mm-hmm. right? And I think, and even though Reagans isn't homegrown, like he really kind of established himself as a big leaguer last year with Kansas City. So that's who I, that's who I would go with. But I also understand maybe you don't want to put a ton of undue pressure on him that's to what be I thought the as well. ace. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a Lugo or Waka, and I'm still okay with that. Like I don't think it's a, a problem. I, I think, and also too, you look at April. Like there's those off days in between. Like you're. Fortunately, Jordan Lyles probably won't pitch to like the second or third week of the season because <laughs> yeah. gonna, they're just going to skip the fifth guy in the rotation. But, you know, opening day it, it is an honor. But, like, after opening day, there really is no – you could go through with your rotation and say there is no number one. We just have a bunch right. of number twos and threes. Uh, what I just chuckle at, it's funny, too. They got the Twins, too, at Kauffman Stadium open the year last year. Yeah. Or actually, excuse me, this year. It'll be a combination of they'll get Reagans, Waka, and Lugo last year. The first three starters of the year was Granky, Lyles, and Keller. Yeah. That was the top three. And then Singer was the, the first start against Toronto in the second series. It'll be Brady Singer again, but Brady Singer, I, I think, could be poised for a bounce back here. And we'll get into a lot more Royals talk uh, in the coming weeks here because spring training, of course, right around the corner. But we all know, I think people have been waiting now of, of Super Bowl talk, Wait, NFL well, talk. One second. One Can more I, thing you got to say? So I'm looking at just roster resources, and this is super yeah. interesting on fan graphs. Because it shows you where guys were drafted. Mm-hmm. When you look at the Royals rotation, you know they have four first rounders in it. I actually hadn't figured who that out. Not the, who is not the first rounder? Okay, so out, it has out of the blue, start, yeah. So Reagan's Waka, Lugo, Singer, Lyles. Who is not the first rounder? Reagan's was a first. Waka was a first. Um, Brady Singer was a first. Um, God, would it have to be Lugo was not a first? Correct. Okay, yeah. Jordan Miles, he was a comp, a comp round pick. No. Pick 38 first round by Houston. Seth Lugo was a 34th round pick. Hey, good for props that Props to that. Props, props to that. that. I, I will say that. Now we, I keep saying final thing I'm going to say, final thing I'm going to say. I don't have a hot take. I'm going to throw it out here. Dare I say, I think Jordan Lyles is a little bit more respectable this year as a fifth starter. I think so. Yeah. yeah I mean, the bar is really low. The bar your, is really low. And you know why he's going to be better? Because he's your fifth starter and not your Ex- third. Exactly. <laughs> he, yeah, number two, number three. Right. Uh, like, he's going to be the guy. He may still be the, the punching bag of, hey, go out there for six innings. You're going to give up seven runs, but you're going to save our bullpen. You know, if that's what he is this year for a team that's still not going to be super competitive... Like, I think that's fine. You might like, as well start the parade if Jordan Lyle's first out in the year. He has six shutout with eight Ks and no walks, and that's the number five starter for the Royals. But, you know, we're, we're going to have ups and downs at 162-game season. As we talked about with college basketball, there's ups and downs, and there certainly is a lot of ups and downs in the NFL. And a perfect segue for that leading into the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs. We haven't really experienced a year like this before, if I'm being quite honest with you. Um, we sat here, the three of us sat here maybe a few weeks before Christmas, I think it was, and we just said, this is who they are. This is the team that is going to be playing in the postseason, and you are an idiot if you think they're going far in the postseason. They're a wild card exit, and they're a a team that's going to have 10 points in their loss, the offense sucks, the wide receivers suck. Uh, the offensive line sucks. Patrick Mahomes is melting down. Kelsey's too focused on his Hollywood career. No, we didn't really say that. But a lot of people were. A lot of people were. 
But here is the funny thing, is that when it's all said and done, it's the top team in the NFC, and let's all be honest, the top team in the AFC. Uh, The Chiefs proved it against the Ravens two weeks ago. They were still the alpha. They were the top dog. And if you've seen The Wire, you know the famous words of, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And now for the second straight year, everybody in the Chiefs' path has missed. And in the end, you have 31 other fan bases rooting against you, rooting for your downfall, and the power of having everybody's emotion in your hand is a feeling that I think now the Chiefs are leaning into. When I when I saw some of the interviews on opening night, it was the first time I really saw Mahomes, Kelsey, um, even a little bit of uh, who else was out there. The Chris Jones as well. I mean, a lot of them were out there, but ones that were on the national stage getting yeah. interviewed in front of all the 49ers fans booing. They know they hold the emotion of 31 other NFL fan bases, and they're finally all just leaning in to knowing that, being the villain. And you know me. I've said just lean into being hated. Stop trying to be the hero. They're never going to like you, and this is great. Now, this this game, the Niners game, I feel like I've got more confidence in this one than I ever did for Baltimore, than I ever did for Buffalo. Probably not since the Miami game, and we know that was an ass-kicking. But I don't know. I think it's the way this has all transpired. Maybe I'm going to be let down, but I honestly, right now with my prediction, I don't think I'm going to be. The the irony of this is, I this is the most confident I've been in the Chiefs in a Super Bowl, and this is the fourth one yeah. since Super Bowl Fifty Five. Yeah, there you <laughs> Just, go. Because well, but I think it was a lot of misplaced confidence mm-hmm. because we all knew they had four backup O linemen going into that. We game. did. We're like, Ah, Mahomes will figure it out, and then he ran around for forever. I, it was like four hundred scramble yards mm-hmm. or something stupid in that game. Like looking back, like we should have never thought that that was going to be a thing. This feels different. And yeah. I think some of it is the Chief, there's a little bit of a been there, done that for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, there's some Niners players that are holdovers from 54, but not many. Brock Purdy, did you see the look on his face looking around? Like, Fearful. He looked like a guy that just kind of wandered out on stage and was just Fair. out there and like, well, I guess I'm playing the part now. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to say that it's going to, the moment's going to be too big for him. I think he, like his, like EQ, like the emotional intelligence that he carries with him, so, you know, that super even kill mentality. Yeah. I think he's going to be. I think he'll be fine. Like in mm-hmm. that regard, I don't think it's it's that. I just think the experience the Chiefs have is going to play a much bigger factor, and I think the way the Chiefs can win anyway factors in too. Like, how many points do you think the Chiefs need to win, Kyle? Yeah, well, their defense has not given up more than thirty this year. And I'd be willing to say they can hold the Niners below twenty four. Like, like how like I think the Chiefs need twenty four points. I, I think yeah. that's that may even be like that and then some, to be honest with you. Like the way I saw that defense play against the best rushing attack and the MVP of this year, it's ten points. Yeah. It was and, ten and, points and, and the people, first drive they had was a and, touchdown. And most of the talking point that people have made, at least that I've seen, is well, you can show the the Bills showed you can run on them. Yeah. And I don't know what the, the Ravens were doing, but you can run on the Chiefs. I'm like I mean, probably. I wouldn't be shocked if Christian McCaffrey goes for a buck twenty and a touchdown, right? Like You always think though it's gonna be that star and it never is. It never is. You know, it's we, gonna be uh 
maybe like a Brandon Ayuk game. Now he's a damn good wide receiver, but you'd think Debo, Kittle, I, I, bet, De- I bet Debo is probably going to break a couple plays. That dude is just so electric with yep. the ball in his hands. But you might see this Juwan is, Jennings with 80. Oh, yeah, there you God. go. Yeah, yeah, Juwan be, Jennings. Hey, the, let's it, see the yeah. odds on first-time score of Juwan Jennings. No kidding. Uh, but this is where Steve Spagnolo paints his masterpieces. It's I was in big say, games. Yep. It's in Super Bowls. And I have full faith that the defense is going to go out there, hold them to 17 to 20. Like I think, like if if you hold them under twenty, the Chiefs are going to are going to win the game. If they score between twenty and twenty four, maybe sweaty, but I still think the Chiefs can score slightly more. Call me crazy, but when I it's God, it feels like years ago now since I watched that Lions Niners game. At halftime of that game, with the way the Lions were just dissecting the Niners, you know, at times zone defense, it felt like. Uh, whether it was Montgomery and Gibbs or if it was Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds, it really didn't matter. They were averaging 10 yards a play late in the second quarter. When I saw the Lions go into halftime up 24-7, to I said, as bad as it sounds, I said, for the Chiefs' sake, I hope the Niners come back and win. Because I have seen so much weakness from this Niners team, I'd feel better about facing them in a comeback win than I would about the Lions winning comfortably. Uh, because the Lions had already beaten the Chiefs, not that I would buy much stock into a Week One loss, but the way the matchup would be, like I, I would take Jared Goff over Brock Purdy, yeah. um, and and that's why I think for this Chiefs team, man, if you start the way you did against Baltimore, and this in this Super Bowl, you jump out seven zero. I, I don't like Brock Purdy playing from behind. I mean, I know the numbers have been better when they beat Green Bay and they beat Detroit, but historically. Kyle Shanahan and the quarterback he has does not fare well when they are trailing in football games. That brings me to the point, as what you just brought up, Joel, as it's a Steve Spagnolo type of game. When you can give him a lead, it can be a nightmare for that quarterback. They can make that team uncomfortable. And I ask you this, you take away Christian McCaffrey, I know he's got Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, but you take away that security blanket... And you force Brock Purdy to continuously make the tough throws to make them under duress. That mistake's going to happen. And if one mistake happens, it turns into two, three, and four, as we've seen a couple of times from him in this past season. I mean, for the most part this year, like they haven't played a ton of great defenses. No, which I think is interesting as I'm looking through their schedule. Like Baltimore demolished. So I'm looking them. through. So we'll go through their schedule. Pittsburgh. Always decent just because of Tomlin. Gritty. The Rams, eh. Giants, no. The Cardinals, no. No. Dallas was over. Dallas's defense was overrated. They beat up on bad teams. They beat it. Cleveland beat them with a good mm-hmm. defense. Uh, Minnesota, they blitzed a ton, which yeah. th- caused some issues. Yeah, they were at the home, end run of that game. home run hitters. Home run hitters. Cincinnati, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, mostly. Jacksonville, no. Tampa, eh. Seattle, not really. Philadelphia, they whooped up on them, but their mm-hmm. defense was bad. Seattle again. The Cardinals again. Baltimore. Brock Purdy threw four interceptions. Killed them. Absolutely killed them from every angle. Washington, no, and then the Rams again. And then in mm-hmm. the playoffs, the Green Bay defense was very inconsistent, not that great, and same yeah. with Detroit. Well, it's, So this is going to be the second-best defense that they play. Yeah. And the last time they played... A really good defense in Baltimore. They had him in a torture chamber. It just feels like when you look at these two teams, 
and it, it'll sound biased, but you know, the Chiefs beating Miami in negative 30-degree temperatures, then going to Buffalo, taking on a team that was red hot, uh, one of the hottest teams in the NFL over the last month and a half, and they have to go to the top dog, the best team in the NFL in Baltimore, go on the road, and they win that game. And I look at San Francisco, as good as they were all season long for the most part, Green Bay had to hit one field goal to win that football game. Didn't happen. So a collapse happens. Brock Purdy, game-winning drive. Detroit needed a field goal probably just to ice that game. We got into a big discussion last week of that, but same scenario. I think Detroit gave that game away. The Niners did not simply take that game from them. I think that's the story of both of the games that the Niners played. Yeah, I feel like it's a team that knows, hey, we're glad to be here, but it took some collapses for us to be here. I think the Chiefs downright beat the tar out of Miami. They, for the most part... Beat down Buffalo pretty good. I know they, the Tyler Bass missed. They controlled but, the game for most for vast stretches, and then they completely dominated Baltimore. The yeah, I mean they were averaging in the Buffalo game at one point like nine and a half yards of play. Yeah, they, they, they and Buffalo had zero plays at twenty yards, twenty plus yards. And in fact, Kansas City left the door open for Buffalo to make that close. If Hardman doesn't fumble out of the end zone, they win by ten points. Yep. And the Baltimore game, you know, the Ravens had their opportunities. But in the end, the Chiefs had a two-score lead in that game. So that's where I look at this Chiefs team. And also, I don't know what Vegas is doing making Mahomes an underdog again. If I was a Niners fan, I'd go, don't do that. Don't do that. He's unbelievable he's, he's when he's an underdog. He's the best underdog quarterback ever. And that's why I just I, I do feel eerie that this is exactly how I felt and I think it was Super Bowl 55, as you said, Bucks and Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Like It was the exact same way I felt. I was like, I'd rather see Tampa Bay and Tom Brady instead of Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers because the Chiefs played that Buccaneers defense earlier in the year and shredded them. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill had like 280 in that game oh, and that two or three nice. touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. And he had like 140 in the first quarter. It was ridiculous. And lo and behold, the just battle wound, the injury-ridden, the backup O-lineman Chiefs got dominated in that game. Different story, though. I really feel like this is a much different story. This Niners team, as scary as they were early on in the year, they're not that scary anymore to me. When your coach is having to talk to you about, talk to the media about your effort in the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game and how embarrassing it was, there that could be. I think that's a canary in the coal mine for like an emotionally immature team, kind of yeah. similar to what we saw at Baltimore. Yeah. Where like I think there is a certain amount of toughness that they carry, like Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, like there there are dudes on there that are, you know that are really good players and are very prideful players. If the Chiefs come out and score on their script like they did against Baltimore, punch them in the face early, and Pacheco's gashing them like Jameer Gibbs did, mm-hmm. and then it's if if it goes something along the lines of score stop score stop and it's 14-0 or 10-0. No, oh, game's I over. I wonder about how where San Francisco is mentally. Very mm-hmm. similar to where Baltimore was last week. So sometimes it is that simple that if the Chiefs dominate the early game script just like they did last week, you're going to feel really good about where the Chiefs are at because you know Mahomes is going to he's not going to do anything flashy, not going to do anything crazy, and he's not going to keep the trick plays in the bag until he maybe yeah. he needs them later if uh, if San Francisco comes back. They're just going to sit on them and lean on the defense, lean on the run game. Mahomes makes one to two more special plays, and you got another Super Bowl. 
I know Chiefs fans are not going to want to hear this, and I'm definitely going to be criticized for making this comparison. This Mahomes-Purdy matchup feels very similar to Brady-Nick Foles a couple years back. Um, just because yeah, when everybody looked at, at Nick Foles, it was like, well, New England's not going to have a problem with Nick Foles. I mean, come on, it's Nick Foles. It was Tom Brady we're talking about. It, it was a lot of wish casting from people that wanted the Patriots to lose that yes. they, want, they thought yeah. Nick Foles could do. But they, yeah. but they thought the Cinderella story for Foles was going to be over, right? Yeah. Yes, and I, I would like to say there's there's similarities for my for my take there, but man, I, I look at the quarterbacks the Chiefs have played, and I think we all know what I'm talking about when you're watching the Chiefs play and you just get nervous when teams are on a roll. It's like, oh no, Lamar Jackson's rolling out, Josh Allen's rolling out. They're definitely going to make a big play here. I don't get that feeling from Brock Purdy. Like even at Brock Purdy, let's say the Niners are the team that jump out to a 10-0 lead. Am I confident it's going to keep up? For the rest of the game? Not really, because this Chiefs defense is setting playoff records for the past couple of Chiefs team. I mean, all time, it's like a, a top 10 scoring defense in the playoffs right now. It is a very good defense, whereas, you know, Brock Purdy, as Joel brought up, he's not that great against really good defense. He hadn't played many of them, and it's just got to go according to plan. It's like, this is a good quarterback. Brock Purdy deserves his credit. Listen, I'm not going to say he's some bum here and he's not good at all. He is a good quarterback. But we've also seen in this new era of the NFL, the great ones are the off-script guys. I think, you know, we've seen Patrick Mahomes car up defenses when it's just swing pass left and right. It's screen plays. It's quick five-yard outs. And you look up and he's 15 of 17 for 160 yards and two touchdowns. Brock Purdy can have that line. But in the fourth quarter, right, when you need that big play, for instance, Patrick Mahomes in the Ravens game to MVS, does Brock Purdy make a throw like that? In that spot, that exact in, in same that moment. spot, I don't know. He might bounce it off the DB. I was going to say, like, in the big moments, I think it's more so of, hey, let's play within the offense. Oh, let's, I'm going to get you these looks. Kyle Shanahan, up there with Andy Ruth, one of the best play callers in the game right now. I would just say, if Steve Spagnuolo really starts to discombobulate Brock Purdy, that's when the mistakes happen. That's when this game can be decided, is that you have a guy who you're forcing to go to read number two, read number three, read number four. He's great when it's read one. It's Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. It's George Kittle on a seam route. That's the best for him. But when things get tough, that's where I go, all right, who am I trusting here? Patrick Mahomes, who made a name for himself improvising, or a guy that... At the end of the day, and this could always come back to bite me, and I'm willing to, to stick my neck out there, it was a Mr. Relevant pick. There was a reason he was. He, he's a great system quarterback. He's better than Jimmy G. He's better than Garoppolo. But he's similar in a way. Of, I, I think they, they share similarities, but yes. Brock Purdy is a better player. Yes. And I, think, and what, I will say, what I've been critical of Brock Purdy on this show mm-hmm. because I, just, I think it's just a, maybe some Niner quarterback bias. But I will say what impressed me a lot about Purdy in the NFC Championship game was his ability to make second reaction plays and to make yeah. plays with his legs that Jimmy G wouldn't go near. If you got any sort of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, it was over. He was going to close his eyes and chuck the ball somewhere, YOLO yeah. ball it, and like he did to Bashad Breland. And yeah. when he literally closed his eyes and threw a pick. Yeah. Right? Purdy's not necessarily going to make that mistake. I think where the Chiefs can have the advantage against Brock Purdy is Spags changing the picture on him mm-hmm. like he did against Lamar Jackson. Where if you watch that game and a lot of the the footage, it shows Chiefs were like, throw the ball, yeah. go for it, because they were stacking the box with seven, eight people, and then changing the picture, and all those throwing windows that Lamar thought he had were gone because everyone was dropping into coverage. And like, 
Tershawn Wharton was dropping back. Like yeah. weird stuff like that. And Purdy will throw you the ball. Mm. We wa- first play of the game against the Packers. He hit the he hit Darnell Savage right in the chest. He did, and he threw the ball right to Malcolm Rodriguez when the picture changed yep. on him. Because a lot of what he does is like those anticipatory, like mm-hmm. hit my back foot. I'm throwing to a spot because I know it's going to be there. And what if it's not there? And that that's where I think the Chiefs hold a, a huge advantage, a massive it's, one. It is where. You can't have breakdowns, and I think it's really key that the Chiefs are relatively healthy on their back end. They're going to have Willie Gay back. Mm-hmm. Uh, as their spy. Yeah, as their spy. I just don't want – I think the thing I don't want to see is Drew Tranquil off the field a ton with yeah. Nick Bolton. This might be a situation where Leo Chanel plays some edge and plays some, like, you know, kind of se- you know wide seven tech or something like that just to kind of keep more athletic guys on the field. But, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. It, it there, I think there are a lot of advantages that the Chiefs have, and I'm not going to act like this is going to be a cakewalk. No. This is not going to be it's Super Bowl. It's a Super Bowl for a reason, but there's just something different about this team that they've ju- they have flipped the switch that we all thought they would. Yeah, and we were like, oh, they could flip a switch, or you know, we talked about it all year, and then we thought, okay, it's it's just not going to happen, and then they just did it, mm-hmm. and it's it's absolutely wild, and you can see. The vibes feel different than it did at 50 for uh, 55. Mm-hmm. Obviously, COVID changed a lot of yeah. stuff, but like the comments, some of the way, you know, the body language, the mannerisms going into that game was like, we're going to walk in and win this game. Like they kind of read their own headlines a little bit. Yeah. They know what it takes to go and try and go back to back now. Like they, they know yeah. what to expect. They know they can't have a letdown performance. And these guys are as locked in as could possibly be everybody. And it's one through 53 which I think has been very fascinating. Some of the juxtaposition of the answers the Chiefs are given versus some of the answers the Niners are given and mm-hmm. and the way they're kind of handling some of the media stuff. Uh, I feel pretty good about it. And I know we're going to talk a little more about it uh, as we keep going on this hour. Okay. Yeah, we, Real quick, go uh, ahead, I want to yeah. ask you both a question, actually. Yeah, what's up? Joel, I think you mentioned it earlier, how Brock Purdy's even keel guy. You don't think the emotions are really going to get to him too much? I don't think so. Even with the alpha, Patrick Mahomes, coming in, right? I think it'll affect the team maybe more than the quarterback okay. itself because I don't think we see we've seen the quarterback get rattled a ton. Um, I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna you know tool was cold okay like right, we're just right, gonna right. that was yeah. that. I think the specter of Patrick Mahomes spooked Sean McDermott a little bit okay and spooked Joe Brady a little bit. Yeah, and with the Jack fake and I, we had talked earlier. The Bills had a ton of pressure on them, so that yeah, yeah that totally and they trash. did. And then I think. The the Chiefs went up two scores, and I think they pay, I think the Ravens panicked a little bit. Now Spags deserves credit for getting them out of some of those run looks that they love to do, but having Lamar Jackson drop back thirty seven times in a big game is insane. To only run the ball with your running back six times near the best, run, I think a lot of it was we're down two scores to Patrick Mahomes. He could he could score at any moment because like, we've seen it for six years. He he can do it. We have to we have to go 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 go. And it gets you out of your rhythm. I think and Kyle Shanahan wants to run the ball. He wants to go off a of play action. That's what their passing game is built on. If the Chiefs go up two scores, it's going to completely get them out of that. And you're making Brock Purdy a true drop back passer without the threat of running. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily Mahomes. I think it or I I don't think it's necessarily like singularly Mahomes. I don't think it'll affect Purdy, but I think it could affect the game plan. If the game script goes the way we think it, yeah, I think it will. That was kind of my next point: is Kyle Shanahan has two bad Super Bowl losses. Like yeah. he needs this one, and 
I may I may be crazy for thinking this, but he's going up against Mahomes and Reed, who have been there and done that. They've lost, but they've also won too. Will you feel differently about Kyle Shanahan as a coach if they lose the Super Bowl? Probably not. I still I think he's up there, uh, you know, a top five coach, top three coach in the NFL. I think that's that's where I'm at. It, it's one of those things where I think 25 years from now, and I I can't lay claim to this, but I think it, this take, but it's fascinating. Kevin Clark from ESPN talked about like. In 25 years, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, let's just theorize here, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, a few mm-hmm. others, they're all going to have their gold jackets on, and they're all going to look at Patrick Mahomes and go, I wish you were never born. Because <laughs> when you have that guy that takes Super Bowls away from all-time greats, like Montana did, like Brady did, like Bradshaw did in the 70s, like mm-hmm. it, that's the type of thing that the Chiefs are going up against. So I, I don't look at... I'm not going to look at the Niners any differently because they lost to this Chiefs team that is a, a dynasty, right? Like, I think it's it'd be different. If the Niners were playing the Ravens, I would look at it a little bit differently because I think the, Raven, the, the Niners can go in and win that game. Like, it just feels different playing the Chiefs right now in this era of football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was perfectly said by both of you guys with in terms of the pressure on this game. But also, you know, I want to bring up, What's on the line here? I, I think not only with Kyle Shanahan, not only with the Niners, what's on the line for Andy Reid in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes? Right? We can keep hammering the point of, hey, they've already won two. Hey, a lot of people would wish they'd won two Super Bowls. But I do think there is something very, very uh, big on the line, not just of, hey, we won the Super Bowl. Legacy-wise, we've talked about legacy with all these playoff games. One more time, we're going to do it. And we're going to take our final break of hour number two. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with Joel Penfield of KC Sports Network and co-host of One Royal Way, breaking down the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. That's next on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We are wrapping up our number two of the night shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Kyle Collier, and joined in studio by Joel Penfield of the KC Sports Network, co-host of One Royal Way. Be sure to give them a follow on all of those podcasting platforms. We don't just talk Royals with Joel. We did that for the first time in a long time to kick off his segment, going over the Bobby Wood Jr. extension. But wrapping things up with some Super Bowl talk and a reminder that after we are done here with Joel, Sterling Holmes is going to have the final hour of tonight with some fantastic interviews that he has down in Las Vegas. He'll be down there all week long, leading you up into the Super Bowl, and he's probably got about 50 or 60 interviews, I'll be quite honest with you. You're going to hear him tomorrow night, you're going to hear him on Thursday night, and you will be uh, fully ready and juiced up for the Super Bowl by the time we get you to the weekend right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. But before break, I brought up the question, of what this means for the Chiefs, what this means for the Niners. I think for the Niners, it's very obvious. Okay, it's it's Kyle Shanahan returning to the Super Bowl yet again. He desperately needs this one. If he loses, what I was going to interject in before the break is he kind of becomes the modern-day Andy Reid, which is not a slight, but a guy that wins a lot, great play caller, can't win the big one. Uh, he may get to the big one a couple of times, but he loses the same team twice, the same quarterback, the same coach, it starts to burn you a little bit. And that's what I think has the was the pressure part for San Francisco. Uh, Brock Purdy, I think he's more so playing with house money. Like, if he wins one, you're going to look back like 20 years from now and be like, damn, I forgot Brock Purdy's got a Super Bowl ring. I think ring. there's a little bit of pressure on him. Like, just a little. On Purdy? Yeah. 
Because, okay. Man, for Mr. Well, Irrelevant. Okay, look, I'll look at it this way, I guess. Okay. If, if the Niners win, he's their quarterback for the next decade, at least. But, right? Like that, but it's that kind of thing. Okay, I, I can see that. If he plays pretty well and they lose, okay, he's their quarterback for you know the rest of his rookie contract. They figure it out. Yeah. If this blows up in their face and Purdy f- flops, couple picks, completes 50, 55% of his passes, and is a not the reason, but one of the reasons why they do not win the Super Bowl, is he competing for his job next year? I, I know he, that he, I know Mr. Relevant got them to the Super Bowl, but if he falls on his face in this spot, like it could be real interesting. Man, I would I would say that there is pressure to extend. I, I don't know if he's gonna be fighting for his job. He'd have to play really, really bad. Like he'd have to have that Baltimore performance, four picks, three of them in the first half. Like just yeah. and and another point to that. I think the Chiefs would have to decimate the Niners, like beat them forty-one to seven, for him to be like, okay, we got to find a new guy next year. Uh, not saying it's impossible, but I think Brock Purdy's got his job for the next couple of years because he fits the system so damn well. That's true. I, I just think though, if they do lose, they kind of know how limited he is. To be honest with you, like if Jimmy G would have won in twenty twenty, which they have that game on right now on this TV to the right of us, if Jimmy G would have won that. Would he have locked in his job for the next five years in San Francisco? Probably. I think winning Super Bowls does a lot for you, man. It, it does. Um, I just think that with Brock Purdy, like nobody's going to really tarnish him if he loses the Patrick Mahomes in the no, Super Bowl. No, I don't Bowl. think it's going to be significant, but it could be one of those where like they bring in a quarterback to compete with him, or yeah. it's going to be an open competition between him and Sam Darnold, because I know Shanahan thinks highly of him, or Kirk Cousins. Well, you know who the the quarterback yeah. that Shanahan has always loved and and yearned for. Yeah, I think it could get interesting, and I don't think I think that is the least likely outcome of the three I laid out. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't. I think there's just a little bit, and I don't think it's pressure that he'll feel. But I think it's, I think it's there. Uh, these are two decorated franchises as well. Chiefs more in the modern day. Niners more back in the day with Joe Montana. Uh, they were the team back in the the 80s and the 90s, kind of in that era a little bit. The Chiefs are now the team of the 2020s. But I would say this, you know, uh, both franchises could walk away with a loss and be like, we're still one of the more storied franchises in NFL history. But I think the Chiefs are chasing something much bigger here. Uh, Much, much, much bigger. Because uh, we said this before the Baltimore game and getting the Super Bowl. You put yourself... In that category of a three-time Super Bowl champ, you're now one of the few teams that have gone back-to-back. Cowboys and Patriots did it before you. I I think you kind of reached that era of untouchable, really. Yeah. I I think the the Chiefs would, by every shape and and every measure, be a dynasty. You can't refute that. I remember after the first one. It would be undeniable. Oh, yeah. And I, I think after the first one, this, the first one against the Niners in 2020, you know, people looked at him and said, oh, congratulations, you won one in 50 years. You know, you, you got lucky. And they get beat by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was like, see, we told you, you're not a dynasty. Then they beat Philly. And it was like, okay, uh, you beat Philly, uh, refs helped you, whatnot. You win a third, 
And I really don't think anybody could say, well, you lucked into three Super Bowls. Three in five years is something nobody is going to attain in this era. And that's where you go in the next year. You know, I think this this year I kind of watched the progression of the regular season and was like, they won two. It's really hard to go back to back. But now they're here again. It's like, man, if you get this one, now talk about what you're playing for in year three. The mentality shifts from, let's be that team that has a three-peat. Be the first ever. And you already have three, so like there's there's not a an immense amount of pressure on you to start capitalizing on the window. They've already done that and then some. right? The legacy's already been started here with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. But man, I, I will be honest with you, the selfish person in me, the greedy person in me, I can't say I wouldn't be disappointed with going 50% in four Super Bowls. Oh, I mean, like it's hard enough to win one, so I guess it's all relative. But I think because the Chiefs got this far, and they, and I think with it goes this team, with this team, but like you said, the Chiefs are chasing something beyond just getting. Like if this was the first Super Bowl run, it was like miraculous. Like, yeah. holy crap, they're in the Super Bowl. If they don't win it this year, like okay, they're going to be we'll better be next yeah. year. There, you know, there, there's a good chance they're back because you're chasing the dynasty. Like if you don't win this year, you're not right. Yeah. Like you're just no, you're a not. really you're a really good team for a half decade, but three and six, I don't think you can consider that a dynasty. No, I I think if you if you don't win this one, you're talking about one of the great runs in NFL history. But this puts you up in the conversation of fifty years from now. We'll be talking about the Kansas City yes, Chiefs, like and there will be people in is, New York talking about it's them. It's the Steel Curtain. Yep. It's the Niners of the 80s, which was kind of broken up a couple mm-hmm. of them, but they won four in the 80s. And then the 90s Cowboys, the 2000s Patriots, and then the 2010s, because it's kind of two, I think. Yeah. I kind of look at it as two separate ones. And then the 2020s Chiefs. Like, we're going to be talking to our grandkids about the 2020s Chiefs. Yeah. They're just unstoppable. Yeah. And the fact that the success happened so quickly. And with the fact that one they're probably not going to be done either. No. And that's where it really starts to excite me. Because. You know, we've seen teams do what they or have a chance to do on Sunday. We've seen the Cowboys win back to back. We've seen the Patriots win back to back. It's been done before. But then you start raising the question of what about back to back to back? What about five Super Bowls in eight years? What about six Super Bowls in 10 years? And that's when it gets really, really interesting to me. Like, I don't. I don't think you can even have those conversations, entertain those conversations if you lose. Yeah. And on top of that, it would be losing to Brock Purdy, which would by far and away be the worst Super Bowl loss that you've had. You know, and of course, there's only been one other one. I would say playoff loss, really. I mean, it it would be horrible. And that's not a knock on Brock Purdy, but Mm -hmm. you're Patrick Mahomes, and we attribute it to, you know, the quarterback versus quarterback is kind of how we view some of these things. That's. Someone who you could potentially be the greatest to ever do it, yeah. losing to Mr. Irrelevant. Like, that is going to be something that's going to carry, that's going to be with Patrick Mahomes for his whole career. Yeah. That he could win six Super Bowls. Yeah, but you lost to Brock Purdy. Yeah. Right? Like, it's going to be that sort of thing. And, and it's, you know, people will bring up the argument of, well, Tom Brady lost to Eli Manning twice. Man, I can't put Brock Purdy in the same same category oh. as Eli Manning. And here's the thing, too. Like, Patrick Mahomes hasn't lost a lot in the postseason. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't care what the score would be. If he loses on Sunday, it's the worst playoff loss that he's had. Because the other quarterbacks he lost to, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Yeah. Those are the only other ones. Losing to Mr. Irrelevant, 
would be a stinger. And I know Brock Purdy deserves his credit. It's just the it's the stigma around yes, Brock Purdy. It is. That's, <laughs> that's where a lot of it stems from. And maybe eventually, you know, he has, he strings together a couple more good years, and it's like you know one of the greatest stories the, the, yeah. that this league has seen. But I, I just want to see it for longer, I guess, before I crown the guy. Uh, but credit to him for making it this far. Like I, I don't want any of my, the criticism or the way we've kind of talked about him to take away from the fact that like we watched that dude at Iowa State. That was not a starting no, NFL quarterback. A- so I, I think there there's some serious credit to be deserved there. Let's talk about the other side of it with the Chiefs winning and yeah. what that means for Mahomes. That's three in six years. That's so fifty percent of the years that he started. That's a Super Bowl. Yeah, that puts him ahead of Tom, like the pace for Tom Brady. Yes. Like, and I don't. And it, it puts. I think after they lost the fifty-five, it's like okay, he's never going to catch Brady. Like he's never going. I remember seven. having that same. He's, feeling. Ne- he's never going to get to seven. So let's just enjoy the fact that he's going to be on the QB Mount Rushmore, and let's you know at the end of his career, that's where he likely ends up. Mm-hmm. Now that's three and six years, which is the same amount that Brady had after fourteen years. Like, and there's no way that I think Patrick Mahomes goes a that decade is between. Wild to think about. So he had, so Brady won three and four, and then he didn't win for a decade. decade yeah, and then rattled off. So you're talking four. He, he could have, you know, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes will play into his age 45 season, but yeah, if you win one, the Brady discussion has to happen. But I think it's going to at least come back into the fold a little bit, and the it'll be the combination of the the multiple rings, and he has to continue mm-hmm. to keep winning. Like if he yeah. has three, like congrats, you're the second best quarterback of all time. Yeah, which. That's where I think he would be if they won this. I think, I think it'd be undoubtable. Yeah, I think it'd be undoubtable at that point. It might. It might. In, in because of the individual minds, numbers. Yeah, as the well. individual numbers are crazy. I know we have to kind of adjust for era, but like it would go Brady, Mahomes, Manning, Montana, Montana, yeah. Manning, somewhere in there. I mean, if he correct me if I'm wrong, if he wins on Sunday, he's tied Montana for playoff wins. It, yeah, or he moves like he might he's, move second he, all time. He'll be third. He'll be third all time. third all time. Okay, and he'll. Shatter Montana's record shortly after that. Brady's far and away ahead of him, but let's be honest: there's a lot more playoff wins on the way for Patrick Mahomes to uh, get in the territory of Tom Brady, where nobody's even sniffed that. Yeah, uh, really. So that is what's on the line for him, and he knows it, right? I think he's ready for pressure like that. Um, he knows everybody in the world is rooting against him, and Which that's I think exciting. He loves, of course, he, oh, he yeah. has to, because then when you do win it. You're going to make everybody feel terrible about it. Like, I think the Niners should have been terrified when Travis Kelsey was laughing at the boos and said, I love the boos more than the cheers. Yeah, keep them coming, Niner gang. That's what he said. If yeah, I'm a Niners then, fan in that stadium, I would have been like, guys, stop. And, stop. Then, and then Mahomes was like, hey, we're here, man, and did like the put his hand up to his ear like he's Roman Reigns. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, you got to lean into it. And also, Bosa bringing up that he remembers the Chiefs line holds a lot. Like, And then you have... The pre-complaining has been nuts. It, and I know we're going to get to predictions, but I need to say one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. The, the pre-complaining of, they hold a lot. Our turf is bad. How yeah. dare they make us practice at a college facility, even though the Chiefs did it last year and no one said anything. I, guys, what are we doing here? Well, it's because they're the most hated team in the NFL, and, and you'll want to push every narrative that you can. And, and there will be plenty of narratives. They win this game. Well, if they could win this game forty-one to seven, and there would be they won it because of the officials. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, when you are that good, well, Joel, thanks so much as always. We're definitely going to have you back on, and we'll hope it's a Chiefs win. We're talking about in the Super Bowl. Sure, hope so. Twenty-four sixteen, good guys. Dynasty inbound here in Kansas City. I'm going to go with 27-21. Kyle, last one from you. 24-14. 24-14. We got the Chiefs winning their third Super Bowl 
in six years of Patrick Mahomes. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right, that's going to do it for me here on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside the great Joel Penfield, the KC Sports Network co-host of One Royal Way. Give them a follow on all those podcasting platforms. The great producer, Kyle Collier, running things behind that glass screen. When we come back, and for the final hour of the show, we got some fantastic interviews lined up from Sterling Holmes, who is down in Las Vegas for Super Bowl 58. That's next on the Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with Fansided, joined now by the host of the Up and Adams show and betting superstar, Kay Adams. Kay, how are you? I'm amazing. I can't believe the Super Bowl is here, and I can't believe it's the Chiefs and the Niners. <laughs> I will say this, too, to everyone listening. Fans can tune in and see Kay Adams as the host of this year's PNG Battle of the Paddles, streaming live from Las Vegas on Overtime Season YouTube channel beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, February 7th. Tell us more about this, Kay. Okay, it's going to be so much fun. So it happened last year for the very first time. P&G, you know, your favorite brands, they're the official locker room products of the NFL. So your Gillette's, Tide, Old Spice, Head and Shoulders, they bring together eight wild superstars and they put them in a table tennis tournament and there's trash talking. This is going on for like weeks before the event happens. So it's happening right now. And it's a, like you gave the date, you gave where to watch it. It's on overtime seasons, YouTube page live. I'll be there. Um, I don't even know keeping people apart from each other or like stirring the pot. You tell me Sterling what you think I should do, but there's a chance for some serious bragging rights here. We both know how important that table tennis is in NFL locker rooms across the league and now eight of the best are going to get to play and then all the fans get to watch i can tell you trevor lawrence will be there saquon barton is so competitive he's going to be there jamal williams who i love is going to play as well and there's actually going to be eight players i'll tell you some more of them um as we head towards the event but trent taylor won last year he's so good at table tennis and he will be there as well defending his crown how's your game you pretty good uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's why you're hosting. I'm I'm hosting. That's that's I know my lane, my friend. They're going to come over and talk to me. I'm going to get the soundbite, get it out there, make some news uh, and, and really enjoy it and maybe take some notes or a lesson or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at how the Chiefs got into the Super Bowl, I sit back and wonder, have we been getting punked? Like, I feel bamboozled. <laughs> it's hoodwinked. Like they just all of a sudden turn it on once the playoffs come around were they hustling the NFL? Do they have this little secondary gear where the regular season doesn't mean the most to them? Because this is a complete 180. So on Up and Adams, Gronk joins me every Wednesday. We call it Gronk Day. And this one was special because we were together. This is just this week. And he was off no sleep. He took an overnight flight to New York to meet me. Long story short, he was, you know, loosey-goosey. But when someone's loosey-goosey, they're more honest. And his take was, I think that they're, it's like being a really smart kid in class and getting bad grades because you're bored. You need to be challenged. And he thought that maybe the Chiefs team, and I don't know if he might be speaking from his Patriots experience or whatever that was, but uh, what that might have looked like. But he, see, his theory seems to be, and it's interesting, that maybe this team, and we have seen over the years, they play down to poor competition. They let bad teams hang around in these weird one-score games perennially, that maybe they weren't challenged enough, and then they rose to the occasion. I would just say 
that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid adjust better than anyone and or as well as anybody ever has. And they were able to uh, find ways to make it make the game more manageable and limit those turnovers. And it might just be as simple as that. And it sounds simple, but I mean, Sterling for Patrick Mahomes, who can put it all on his shoulders to not have to do that, to let his defense carry him, to let the game come to him, to just protect the ball, for him to admit, I'm Alex Smithing this, I'm managing the game, can't be easy from a from a discipline perspective. He was able to do it. Lamar Jackson was not. And here they are. Yeah, because that's what I was taking away in that second half. It was a guy who goes, I'm going to reel it back in. The only chance the Ravens have of winning this game is if I make a turnover, if I make a mistake. Oh. And all these people, I feel like, are, are getting on Mahomes for the second half and the, the, the lack of numbers, if you will. But I think it was an actual effort they made to say, we're going to run the clock out. Lamar ain't making the plays and we'll win the game. And it almost gave me, as a Chiefs guy now, way more respect for Tom Brady. It gave me more respect for Tom Brady when I'm sitting here going, check down. It's check down. But then I'm sitting back going, well, that wins games. You don't always have to make the phenomenal play. Make the smart play. Well, the problem is when you have to put too much on your shoulders, then you become Lamar Jackson. When they abandon the run and they force him to put more on his plate, that's when things go badly. Think about all the greats that we've listened to. You mentioned Tom Brady. I'm talking about the Jeters, the goats in our game. When they talk about greatness, they mention doing consistently what I've done over and over again, even when the clock's running out, the scoreboard's going crazy, whatever. It's just being this, reeling it in, right? That's what the greatest in the game do. Patrick has honed in on this. It can't be easy because he knows he can do more. He can no look the blank out of it whenever he wants to. He's not doing that. But you can also only do that when you have great coaching uh, like Spags has done with that defense and, of course, really what Andy's done with Pacheco and what this whole team's done. Can I tell you the wildest thing about this one? I would love to. Just that Patrick, it sounds done. Patrick's the highest paid quarterback. So we're talking about the differences between him and Tom. Tom had a whole salary cap vibe going on. Somehow this team with Patrick Veach deserves credit here because of the draft picks like Sneed the fifth rounder, all of that. Like to have the highest paid quarterback, you can't win if you pay great. Yes, you can. Patrick is showing you, you can win. You can get to the Super Bowl with the highest paid quarterback. How? You got to hit on everything else. And they're doing it. And that should be celebrated leading into the Super Bowl as well. Both teams did it different ways. Look at the Niners. The Niners, they had built their whole thing around Trey Lance, wanted it to work out. They, it, they Both squads did it differently. There's different ways, but both should be celebrated leading into Super Bowl 58 fireworks. Yeah, and then going with Mr. Irre- uh, Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, this is the hot topic all season long. Is people either think he's elite or he's horrendous. There's no no one that thinks he's just good. I feel like I'm just sitting here in no man's land. I liken it to Dave Matthews Band, right? You ever listen to people who talk about Dave Matthews Band? It's either that's the greatest band of all time, or I can't stand him. That's, that's Brock Purdy. So where do you land on this whole Brock Purdy situation? Is he elite? Is he good? Is it carried by all of his weapons? More more polarizing. Taylor Swift or Brock Purdy? Mm, it's tough. I don't know. I just thought I'd ask that since you're bringing up Dave Matthews Band and um, celery and blue cheese and other things people either hate or, or love uh, or salon. Blue cheese, love. by the way. Blue blue cheese, by the way. Okay, Kansas City, you just lost me. Um, I will say, you know, with with Brock, I don't know. I'm I'm just never that sort of. I'm not going to put my 
my hands down and say, you know, we, 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 that we don't, we don't know yet, right? We don't know what Brock Purdy is other than the fact that he, I mean, he has to get off to a hot start. That's not going to fly against this Chiefs team. Like the question about the, can the Chiefs put up points? They keep, they can. I think we can all agree. Patrick's going to find a way with his 25 year old all of a sudden tight end again, uh, Travis Kelsey. They're going to find ways to put up points. Uh, he's going to have to execute out the gate. Uh, I come out with, he's a great, football player. He's made some incredible plays, incredible throws you can point to, the game management of all of it, the Kyle Shanahan of all of it. Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, when it count when it, when when Brock needed to put it all on his shoulders and execute, he did. You can't take that away from him. You can't take the Super Bowl run away from him. Um and so I I I I don't play in that sandbox of of what is he, what needs to happen. Um I think it's a tremendous story. It's one that I don't understand why we couldn't all be excited and rooting for a guy taken and passed over by team after team after team, making teams look dumb the whole way through. Uh, and then he gets to take his squad to a Super Bowl. And I will tell you this, all that matters is not what you think, not what I think, not what anyone thinks. That locker room from somebody who talks to us, there's a star player, Debo Samuel, week in, week out, consistent as can be about his faith in that man. In that quarterback, what he can do, and he has shown them that by bringing them here. That's all we need to know. When it comes to the Chiefs becoming the villains, this has been an interesting transformation because when they won the first Super Bowl against the 49ers, everyone was rooting for Kansas City. It was the level of a bunch of guys who have not won a Super Bowl in 50 years. America was rallying behind Kansas City. It's the Midwest team. It's fun. It's Mahomes. It's Andy Reid. But now we're five years removed, and it seems like everyone hates the Chiefs. They're tired of them. And now I understand. Are you everyone, out, I don't feel bad for you or something? No, 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 okay. No, no, but but like as far as them actually being villains, I understand the AFC because Tom Brady reigned for so long. He played until he was 45, and everyone thinks finally uh, everyone has a chance now. But the baton was passed directly from the Patriots to the Chiefs. The AFC has been run by Kansas City now, but they are the villains. They played the villain role against the Bills. They played the villain role against the Ravens. And it's seemingly they're leaning into this villain role against the 49ers. Do you think that they've handled this transformation well of the hero to the villain? I don't understand your question. Enjoy it, Kansas City. Quiet. Go eat your pickle Enjoy your Joes. Go eat your Z-Man and be quiet. Enjoy that you're the newly crowned. Like, you don't think the Patriots got hate three Super Bowls in with Tom Brady? Of course they did. They became the villain overnight as well. That's just what it is. And you and you should have laughed that all the way to the bank. You have your Lamar Hunt trophy. Kiss that thing and move it along. It's the same. Like this, this part I don't <laughs> understand. Are we saying we don't want it? Are we not okay with being the villain? Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm fine with it. I don't care either way. Let's enjoy it. Let's, uh, it's, it's how have they handled it. I don't know. Are they handling it? I don't, I, I, they, this, this Chiefs team has showed me this year that they can adjust. And I think that's something that might have been a question when it comes to turnovers, overcoming the receivers, Mahomes pressing, whatever it might be. There's none of the distraction. Dispelled, gone, cross the line through that one, delete that one, reboot, and here they are. Like that's the impressive thing is the consistency. Doing it as the highest paid quarterback is really impressive. And being the villain, bring it on. You should be the villain. The Patriots were forever and it did nothing but drive them. Um, and I, by the way, noticed you did not mention the Bengals as a team that the Chiefs have run over and taken care of in the AFC. Thank you, sir.
No, you're correct. It was a half. It, it was a half. They they got the Jeeps. They got it done. Um, That's what I'm really excited for. I want a healthy Joe. None of this like Peyton Manning, uh, Brady, or Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Like no, like Burrow, Burrow and Burrow and Mahomes. I think we got something. I want to hang my hat on that for years to come. Thank you. I think it's asinine when people leave Joe Burrow out of the conversation. He he yeah. is the one guy who's got it done against Mahomes in the playoffs. He deserves his flowers. As far as the most underrated storyline heading into the Super Bowl, I think it's Brock Purdy's legs. Brock Purdy is very underrated when it comes to making off-kilter plays, using his legs to pick up first downs. For you, though, what's the most underrated storyline? The scrambles are going to have to happen like he did. It was uh, unbelievable. Um, I would say... I don't know, like the the pass rush with four, like, you know, pe- people are complaining or have their things that they want to say about the trade for Chase Young and what that means, reunited with his college teammate, Nick Bosa. Like, they're going to have to really bring it in waves and, you know, deal with some fatigue. They lost Cleveland Farrell, so we have Chase Young out there for a lot of plays, a lot of reps um, in this AFC, uh, in the NFC Championship game. Like, he, I would like to see him make a play. Super Bowl champion Tory Smith says he's going to have a big game. They obviously come from the same area, um, you know, Washington, and then now he's playing, uh, playing in the Bay for a career-defining thing for Chase Young, who who is one of the best players in the National Football League. So I think that's super interesting. And I do like uh, on the Niners side just the Brandon Ayuk of it all. Uh, I think he's an underrated, unheralded wide receiver in the mix of so many superstars. So when he makes these big catches on Sunday, I loved seeing it. And I hope that there's more on the way for him. Do you have a score prediction right now? Or are you uh, holding that thing back? I'm, I haven't thought about it. I'm still, I'm still like, I'm freaking out about the fact that the Lions lost and the Ravens lost the way that they did. Like, I'm still like reeling. So probably not until Thursday or Friday. Uh you know, defensive slugfest. The, the story about this Chiefs team is the defense. It's not. It's about discipline and control and like, uh, st- you know, keeping things, the turnovers at bay. But it's really about the deep, about what Spags is able to do and generate. And it's amazing with these, these, I mean, th- this cornerback duo was the best in the league. And here they are. What a huge advantage to what's on the other side. And then just since you brought up Dan Campbell and defense, just letting you know, I will be defending anyone who slanders Anyone who slanders Dan Campbell on Twitter, I'm I'm coming at you. Dan Campbell was aggressive all year long. There is a reason why his aggressiveness got them to the NFC Championship game. You got to die on that hill. I'm okay with it. Oh, no, Sterling, I couldn't disagree with you more. What are you talking about? Hey, hey, he got to the NFC Championship game by being aggressive. Why? What did those two have to do with each other? So you got there by being aggressive, and then you just decide to like make a bad decision when you could be up three scores. The two the things. Forty-eight are- yarder. It's not. It, you don't take the points. I don't. Just because you, you know, I don't even know. What the, I, I'll have to think of a metaphor. I'm too tired to think of one right now. Just because you, you, you do one thing over and over again, and it, and it's, you know, doesn't mean that you, you can. You have to do it every time. You can be thoughtful about things. I like my favorite thing about Dan Campbell is that he sort of owned everything and said, this is going to be really hard to repeat and get back to. And he's bringing a, a, a realistic level set to the difficulty of this team getting back to where they were. But did he make the right? Did we all know he was going to do that? Yes. Does it mean it was the right decision? No. 
you know what the right decision is? Tuning in to see Kay Adams yeah. as the host of this year's PNG Battle of the Paddles. Again, streaming live from Las Vegas on Overtime Seasons YouTube channel beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, February 7th. Kay, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. You have a brilliant broadcasting voice. This is a nice chat. Thanks, really. Sterling Holmes with Fan Sided and Invisalign is back to celebrate the greatest day in football in this year. They are partnering with two-time Pro Bowl Max Crosby. Max, how are you? Three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Max, I can't leave that one out for you, man. Max, how are you doing, man? Excellent, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, first and foremost, what has this partnership and experience with Invisalign been like? Um, it's been incredible. You know, I literally um, just got with them. Um, I just got my uh, got my retainers, everything put in, so I'm I'm locked in. And um, you know, for me, it's just about getting the best um, on and off the field. So Invisalign, you know, they were per- uh, you know they came to me with the perfect opportunity. Um, I've been wanting, to, you know, I didn't have braces as a kid or anything like that. So, uh, you know, they're a great partner um, and they took care of me. So now I'm, you know, locked in for the next, I mean, nine to 12 months, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know who else is locked in? That is Antonio Pierce as the head coach now of the Raiders. That's been a big storyline, right? Mm-hmm. The rallying behind Antonio Pierce. What made you and your team gravitate towards him? Yeah, I mean, um, AP is just a leader of men. Um, it's hard to find. Um, he can relate to the players. He's a former player. He's a Super Bowl champion. And uh, he's a guy that people really gravitate towards. They respect. Um, when you have a guy that you respect and you, you appreciate on a daily basis and know they're authentic, it's not hard to go, you know, get up out of your, get up out of bed and come to work in the morning. So um, we love him. Um, he embraces us. He lets us be us. He encourages that. Um, he wants us to sh- let our personality show and be, you know, let our confidence pour through the TV and you you could see it. You know what I mean? Once he took over, you could just see the difference and uh, guys are playing free instead of, you know, fearful. And uh, I know myself, you know, I, that's what I pride myself on is the ultimate confidence comes from the preparation, the work, and you go out on Sunday and you're not thinking you're just going. So um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's what he brings and, you know, many other things, but he's, he's been incredible. Yeah. Uh, your rivalry with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs has been well documented. It's fun. It's entertaining. Um, obviously, it's very intense. You try to get under each other's skin. We, we've all heard them mic'd up. But as far as what actually goes down between you two guys, there is this uh, show and sign of respect. What is the inner working between you and Mahomes and the Chiefs? What's that like? Yeah, no question. Um, I've been playing them for five years. We played each other 10 times already. Um, and for me, ever since I got in the league, I always wanted to be the guy that quarterbacks say, you know, that's the guy I hate playing against. Um, I've talked about it many times, but, um, that's just something I've always, you know, that's what I want to be the best at what I do. Um, and Pat is the best at what he does. So, um, we played each other for years and I've always wanted to gain that respect, not only from him, but all my peers and coaches as well. And in the outside world watching. So, um, you know, it takes years and years and years to get to that level. And I'm still improving and he's still improving. And guys like myself and him, that's how we carry ourselves. So when you get out there, you're we're both alpha males. You know what I mean? I don't fear. I don't stand down from anybody. I don't care who it is. Um, and he's the same exact way. So, I mean, I'm hunting him down and he's trying to run for his life. So 
Uh, it's just, uh, you know, match made in heaven. So I got the ultimate respect for him, um, regardless of, you know, him playing for the Chiefs and he's a rival. Um, he knows what time I'm on every time we see each other and it goes vice versa. So um, at the end of the day, I got nothing but respect for him. But um, he knows he knows I'm trying to kill him every time I'm out there. <laughs> I, I'm you know, so I want to ask you this. When Justin Tucker did what he did in the pregame, right? Yeah. A li- li- little intriguing. You haven't seen a whole bunch of kickers do that. But since you know Mahomes and that, again, the rivalry and what he is like, did you know when Justin Tucker did that, that was going to be the result? Um, I, honestly, I don't know the, all, all the ins and outs and details. I know I know this. There's two sides. You got the Ravens side and you got the Chiefs side. It's the Raiders side or the Chiefs side. You stay on your side. And if there's anybody walking over or doing their, doing their stuff on your side, you, it's like a sign of disrespect. So, I mean, Justin Tucker kn- knew what he was doing. So, I mean, people try to make it seem like the Chiefs were the bad guys out of it, to be honest. So, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, you got to – there's there's levels. You know what I mean? There's respect. And if you got, a, you know, somebody warming up right there and you know it's their side and your helmet and all your stuff is out, like, I mean, that's just the slap in the face kind of. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm looking at your hand right here. I know you recently had hand surgery. You also had knee surgery. One, how's the recovery process going and how common is this? Because I think a lot of just the average fan might not understand the amount of off-season cleanup surgeries, the amount of uh, grind, the amount of injuries you guys actually played through game in and game out. Then off-season comes around, you have to go under the knife. Can you talk about the recovery process and just how common this is? Um, I mean, it's different for everybody. Um it's a part of the game. You know, everything comes with a price. Um, like I said, like I play more snaps than anybody at my position. Um, I have no regards for my body when I'm out in the field. I'm putting my everything into helping our team win. Um, so that comes with a couple bumps and bruises and so be it. Um, it's unfortunate you don't want to get hurt, um, but that's just part of the game. I mean, fluky things happen sometimes. And, you know, both of my injuries this year were both kind of fluky. Um you know what I mean? I got my thumb caught on a jersey and tore my UCL in my hand, which is is what it's a common injury. It's happened to many guys, so you know, just a part of it. I got that fixed, and then my knee was just falling down on on the turf in Buffalo week two, and my bursa blew up, and then it just kept blowing up, and I kept landing on it. So I had to get it drained all year, and then it got infected, and then I had to get it drained and drained and drained again, and again, and again, just so I could go out there and play. So um, it's just a part of the game. I mean, it comes with it. Um, it's not easy, but I mean, that's what we do. You know, we're in a very small group of people that get to go out there and play and we make, you know, great money, um, putting on entertainment for the fans. And there's a price that, that, that gets paid with it. You know what I mean? So it's just part of it. I mean, you obviously have that mentality, right? The grind, the motor, all that stuff. You mentioned the snap count, but how were you able to go from only one college giving you an offer and then now, again, two-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, one of the best defensive ends in the entire NFL. What has that journey been like for you? Um, it's been incredible, man. Um, to be honest, like, I've been, you know, when I started this journey, um, I was a child. Like, I've, I've never had a plan B from day one. I've always wanted to be a professional football player. Everybody around me, they all know the same. <laughs> they could tell you the same thing. Like, I was in elementary school. I was in middle school, high school. Whenever I was asked, what do you want to do when you're older? I want to play in NFL. Like, that's been me since day one. Um, I love what I do. I'm obsessed with what I do. Um, my journey wasn't like a lot of guys. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were five-star recruits or four-stars, and they got a bunch of offers and things like that. But I was a late bloomer. Um, I didn't even grow 
to my six four, six five height until I was, you know, a, like going into my senior year of high school. So I was a middle linebacker my whole life growing up. And then my last year was my first year playing DN. So I had no film at the position. Um, I, my body physically, I was in in a lot of pain. I had no twitch. I was just like growing into my body. But um, it all happens for a reason. I know everybody's, you know, journey is different. Um, and for me, that's, you know, the road I had to travel and it was different and it wasn't easy. You know what I mean? I had to battle a lot of things, not only being a late bloomer, but battled addiction. I battled a lot of a lot of demons, a lot of things that I had to go through to get to this point. But I could tell you this, like, I don't regret anything along the way. It made me exactly who I am today. And um, that's why I'm so prideful about the work I put in. I'm obsessed with what I do because I know this window is not forever. You know what I mean? If I retire at 35, that would be 15 years in the NFL. You know what I mean? And like, I'm already going into year six. So yeah. I don't take a day for granted. I put in more work than, you know, I'm not going to talk for anybody else, but I know the work I put in. I'm the hardest worker in the league. I put in every single day. It's a, it's another journey and finding that 1%. Um, and I pride myself on that every single day. And I'm so far from where I know I'm going to be. So um, I take a lot of pride in it and I'm not doing it for the ones that doubted me. I'll do it for the ones that believe in me. And it's a very small circle. And that's all that, all that matters to me at the end of the day. Yeah. And again, just, just what you do, it, it almost seems like you emulate the Raider way, like the old school Raider way. That's what Antonio Pierce, I think, also brings that physicality, that mindset. What are expectations for you guys next year? Obviously, you have the head coach figured out. You have a lot of offensive weapons, defensive weapons. You got Aiden O'Connell with a little more seasoning now under his belt. What are you guys looking forward to most next season? Any goals that you've already set? Yeah, you know, there's, you know, I've, since day one, um, I've I've come to the league. I've expected to win. I know you have to earn it, and that's what I do on a daily basis. I earn it and do everything in my power to be the best version of myself so I can help this team win. And if we have everybody on the same type of path, same type of boat, I'm not going to say they're going to be at my level of – they're going to be here at 6 a.m. from January to January. I'm not going to say that. But I know if you have a lot of guys that are at least in the same mindset of I want to be great, and I'm going to be confident. I'm going to go out there and play with my, with my chest out and, and confident. Then you're going to have a legitimate chance. And I love where this team is going. Uh, we have a chance to continue to build of what we already started. Um, and that's what, you know, fires me up more than anything because I know everybody's on the same boat. Everyone's bought in. Um, we're going to bring in more guys and they're going to fit in that culture and bring the Raider way back. Um, and that's all I want. I've, I got the shield tatted on me before I ever took a snap. Um, because I believe and I love this this organization. I love what it stands for. I feel like there's no no other team I could play for. Um, this is what I am. You know what I mean? I'm meant to be a Raider, um, and I want to be the one you know leading that charge along with AP and the other guys, um, and take a, take this team to where um, where we know we can be. You know, get a fourth Super Bowl. Final question: Prediction time. Who wins the Super Bowl? Um, I believe it's going to be the Chiefs. Yeah, love it. Yeah, AFC West love right there. No, not at all. It's not love at all. I hate both of them, but you know what I mean. I want to. I want to be the ones that take down the Chiefs, not the not the Niners. Uh, in addition to Max, over 400 NFL players across all 32 NFL teams have received Invisalign treatment. Want to give a huge shout out once again to Invisalign as well as Max Crosby. Max, really appreciate the time. Absolutely appreciate you, brother. Good to meet you.
Join Holmes with Fansided, joined now by Aiden O'Connell and Jacoby Myers. Fellas, how we doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. What a great setup this is. I mean, Bounty has really set everything up for us. And again, you can't have football without wings, as you see here. And you can't have wings without Bounty. As a man who hates greasy fingers, Bounty's the real MVP here. And you have these awesome jackets. Can I get one of those or... We're, we might be selling. Yeah, yeah what, how much you got? <laughs> Been cash with you? <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. It's my first time in Vegas. First time in Vegas. I'm an idiot. I wore bad shoes yesterday. Got blisters all over them. First time in Vegas. What do I need to do? I went to the Sphere for the first time on Friday. Saw you 2 That was pretty cool. Is that cool? I, I would suggest, even if even if you don't like you 2 um, just being that whole experience is pretty cool. Um, what you I'm got, go? That. It's just a show, man. Yeah. Find you a good show, yeah. like anything. Just yeah. go out there, try it out, see how you like it, and make a night of it. Yeah. You know? uh, as far as Antonio Pierce, obviously he's now went from interim to the head coach. Now, you guys really rallied behind him. It was a really interesting storyline to watch. Not often does the interim guy get the, that much support. What's it like for you guys now having Antonio Pierce as the head coach? Just, you really kind of hit it on the head. Like, we rallied behind him because that's just what he promoted, you know. Like, he... He really brought us together as a team, so having him back, like it's, I feel like it'll be a good place to start, and I'm kind of I'm excited to see where the team can go with a full year of it, you know. Yeah, and yeah, he he was put in a tough situation, obviously, and for him uh, to come in and do what he did, clean up a mess, kind of like Bounty. It was, it was a great <laughs> great job by him. So yeah, we, I think guys rallied around him. Uh, again, of course, we're here with Bounty, and you guys are wingmen together. As far as on the field, favorite trait about each other. That's easy. He consistent, man. Reliable, consistent, smooth. Like three words, man. I feel like that described him perfectly. He was the same person every day. I would say the same. Reliable for Copes. Um, I said it before, but one of the guys that I practice every day is going a thousand percent. In week fifteen, when people's bodies hurts, he's he's out there practicing, going hundred percent. So I think our timing got better and better, and that was um, kudos to Copes because you know during practice he was running full speed every route. Yeah, Jacoby, for you, I mean, you went undrafted, and now you are again one of the most consistent wide receivers in the NFL. Can you talk about your journey here? A roller coaster ride, man. It was. <laughs> It's really one of those situations where nothing was given. They really made me earn it every single step of the way, but I appreciate it. You know what I mean? It kind of made me the man I am today. Like I said, the practice habits, those just come from having to prove it every day. So I'm just grateful just to be here, man. Every day is just a new opportunity, and I'm trying to do my best in all of them. Yeah. And Aiden, for you, what was it like getting thrown in? Obviously, Jimmy G gets injured. All of a sudden, you're a rookie. Now you are the starting quarterback, and you never look back. It was your job from, what was it, week six, week seven on? All, all you. I mean, what was that like for you getting thrust into that starting role? Yeah, like like Cope says, roller coaster. Um, something obviously a dream come true, and so you're trying to handle the emotions of, you know, I'm getting to you know live my lifelong dream, but at the same time, there's a task at hand each week, and um, you know I expect to perform well, and guys are expecting me to perform well, and so um, you try to find the balance of being grateful, but also um, trying to lock in and you know do your job. Yeah. Obviously, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl right here. You guys beat them this year in Arrowhead. First, talk about experience. That had to be one of the wildest games you've ever played in, right? Didn't complete a pass from the second quarter on and still come away with a victory. Can you talk about that game specifically? Yeah, I think for us that game just um, was a, a full team effort, and I think you know um, our defense carried us that game. Special teams carried us. Obviously, defense scored back-to-back plays, and um, to go in the Arrowhead in December and to beat the Chiefs is a really hard thing to do over the last few years. And so for us to do that, um, really despite the poor, poor performance by me, was pretty awesome. But um, it's just great leadership from our older guys, from our vets that have been there before. Yeah. 
As far as the Chiefs' defense, what challenges do they possess to different teams, obviously, as they're facing the 49ers? What, what should the 49ers be wary of on this Chiefs' defense? Man, they switch it up well. I think, like, very well. And they got some long DBs on the outside who really try to get in your face and press you and get hands on early. So I think it's all about kind of just disruption and then switching up the cadence for them. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I think the same thing. They, Like Hope said, they switch it up really well. I think they know themselves really well. The defensive coordinator is an, an awesome coach. That's obviously been doing it for a long time. And so um, they try to throw a lot of stuff at you, and um, they break tendencies, which is you know makes it really hard. You, you try to expect things on certain down and distances, and they, they switch it up to keep you on your toes. Yeah. Jacoby, for you, obviously now you are a Raider. What is it like you signed that three-year contract? You're wanted now, right? Again, undrafted. Now you're here, three-year contract. What's it like being a Raider? Nah, man, you said it right there. Like, it's good to feel wanted, you know what I mean, where you don't have to prove that you belong, you know what I mean? So just starting at that ground and working myself up, it's it's a blessing. I'm just trying to see how far this thing can go. But I love being here. I enjoy every second that I'm here. As far as your favorite memory from your NFL career, for you, obviously, it's a rookie, so it has to be this year. But for, for you guys, what's your favorite memory? I say that, that Chargers game. Like, that, was, that was a time. That was a time. <laughs> That was yeah for me too. My my first start came against the Chargers, and I we, we lost through an interception in the end zone at the end of the game, and so it kind of came full circle for us to, to play like that in that game. Yeah. This is awesome. When it comes to playing these AFC West teams and specifically Kansas City, what challenges do that does that bring? And you, know, you face these two these teams twice a year. Obviously, there's been a lot of back and forth, a lot of trash talk before your time. But you know, driving the buses around Arrowhead after victory, the rumor is there's a arrow or a Chiefs flag buried underneath uh, good old Allegiant Stadium. Oh, oh, yeah, see? You learn something new here. <laughs> so what, what's your relationship as far as playing Kansas City? I'm not a big fan of them, but I enjoy the competition. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to say I'm going to go out here and support them on the Super Bowl, but I, I do enjoy playing them. Like, they're going to bring it every time, and I know we got to bring it every time. So it's fun, for sure. You're not supporting them, but uh, I will say Max Crosby did say he picked the Chiefs to beat the Niners. I'm going to have to holler at Max about that. You know I mean? <laughs> can't do that. You feel the same way? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm with Pope's. Yeah. I hope they both lose. All right. We are here, obviously, with Bounty. Uh, these wings look really good. You, okay. you can have one if you want. Um, probably not. I, I, I'm, I don't want to get too messy right here. What's your favorite wing flavor? I'm lemon pepper. Lemon pepper? Lemon pepper for Honey sure. barbecue. Honey barbecue. Mm. It's bold. Spicy guy. Got to get that, that, the mango habanero. That ain't oh, bad. That that, ain't bad. That, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right here. Uh, again, everyone, Aiden O'Connell, Jacoby Myers, we are here with Bounty. You can't have football without wings, and you can't have wings without Bounty. Fellas, really appreciate it. Thanks appreciate for having you. us. Yep.